Hello, welcome back to the third place. We are back. We are out of the world of the Boston nuclear apocalypse and West Virginia apocalypse. Now we're going to another sort of proto-apocalyptic world, who I guess you could say that, uh, full of uh, emptiness, giant monsters, and a horse, and a dead girl, question mark. But that's for later. Uh, I'm joined by... A very special guest, someone who I've been wanting to have on the show for a long time, uh, the wonderful Ev, host of the Evcast. How are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I have a, a little bit of a cold or flu or something going on, but I have enough uh, <laughs> enough alcohol at this point in our yeah. It's a su- it's to, uh... it's the Sudafed for tonight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're, the the body temperature is up, and I'm I'm feeling a little energetic. So yeah, hey, we, hey, we we were we were spitballing for over an hour, and I think we're in good spirits tonight. Um, I just wanted to give a shout out to you, and also to your own unique uh uh media endeavor, the Evcast, which I have been tuning in, you know, here and there over the past few months. I I really love it. I Oh, I cool. showed I I I DM'd you something that it reminded me of, which I mentioned on the Max Payne episode, which was uh those uh the demo videos from the nineties that uh future crew uh where it's just this audio visual showcase of what PCs could do. And I was like, you know, mm, Evcast yeah. reminds me of that. Yeah. Where like it's just this sort of ambient space, sort of separated from reality but it's like it's like fed through an internet connection wire so to say like this is what happens inside the fiber optic cables i guess you could say and those are so gorgeous and those are they're so um i've i've known about that for a hot second because i have kind of a weird fascination with like early computing like commodore mm-hmm. 64 and and um the the aesthetics of those are just unreal. oh they're immaculate um, but yeah, that, that that started um kind of during the pandemic, like when it at a point when like everybody was still scared of the pandemic, like nobody knew what was going on and like like um and I was I was a I'd gone on tour like in November that year and I was just getting so bored to tears. I was like, I have to do something. And so mm-hmm. I just started playing DJ sets at night. Um mm-hmm. and at first it was just uh genres and then i started doing like based on drinks mm-hmm. and then i was getting too drunk for those <laughs> I like i can't i can't do like themed playlists on chartreuse because i'm gonna drink like a quarter of a bottle of chartreuse and just <laughs> fucking be completely useless for the rest of the day um, yeah you, you did the perfume ones which i really enjoyed and i started yeah, i was listening to a lot of perfume nationalists at the time because i had just got back into I'd gone back into physical work and uh, it just sucked so bad. And I was listening to that show, like, cause they were the only ones at the time to just basically flat out say like, man, doesn't it like suck to just like nothing works and you have to wear a mask everywhere and everything yeah. is broken. Um, that was like the only show doing that. And I had already been listening to it anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, one day I was like, Oh, like, I could just do like perfume. Um, and I had to get like, I had to get all the, the people involved with that, like tagged into that. So they didn't um, 
feel like I was completely ripping them off, which I am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a total ripoff. I'm not ashamed to admit it's a complete... I mean, I'm not talking during it. I'm not like... Yeah. I'm not a... But it's it's uh, unashamedly a ripoff, um, <laughs> which is better. It's that me saying that is better than being one of the like 300 people in New York City that have like, who, the exact who, same uh, who are <laughs> suspicious who are suspiciously into every perfume that Jack has talked about on the right. show, but just so serendipitously, uh, just like wow, have you heard about Angel? Yeah, it's yeah, such a great perfume. Oh, I, just... I just was like thinking about aromatics elixir just all of my willy-nilly lonesome yeah you know it's, just it's, that's the thing that women do um just be in just have ingenuity and come up with ideas on their own all the time yeah um, no it's, it's, <laughs> we love totally original females on the internet yeah. um I was just thinking about it i just you know it's fascinating listen you know i saw you know i saw the bottle on the store shelf and i said wow I came up with this. No one else did. <laughs> yeah. I wonder. I wonder if anybody else has noticed how much <laughs> aromatics elixir is like uh, present. Is is like uh, um, fucking what's the movie called? Uh, the, oh, uh, crash. Like crash. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I wow. Does anybody else has thought of this before? Has anyone ever heard of Crash, the movie from you know the nineties? Like wow. Like I just. <laughs> Like, I I always love just that character. It's just like, yeah, I you know I can't just, like, uh, and I come from this too of perspective. Like, yeah, my show is totally uh not original. Where it's just like, yeah, I I list my inspirations like every single episode. Be like, you know, hey, the, you know, TPN, ISP, like Agitator. These shows inspire me. Like, you know, go listen to them. Like, like it's okay you, to be unoriginal. It's, yeah, I mean, no, I there's like what barely few any original ideas. It's like it's much yeah. worse to to think that you're original or to know that you're not original and then try to pass off this like like uh, the perf- you guys perf- ever heard of melancholy der angle? Yeah, it's the this perf- cool movie. The perf oomphies, as Jack calls them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, whatever, but you know. Anyway, yeah, but yeah, I, I, the less words spent on that, probably the better. But, <laughs> but I, I genuinely love Evcast, and I love that you host it through. Uh, was it the Periscope? Well, the for, yes. for, formerly known as Periscope. I'm the only person that uses it. Yeah, it's, I, I think I genuinely might be the only person that uses the, it like regularly. Yeah, no, I you're the only one on my timeline who uses because everyone else uses Spaces now. To, A lot of people didn't know. It existed like um perry was asking me like like how do you do this like how do you even go and the other the other day they took it off finally i had to go on twitch for a day and um i hate twitch but that's an <laughs> um, twitch is so fucking bad it's so vile um but uh what's i saying uh oh yeah so i went i went in and to broadcast a tool at like just the link for the media producer which like even media producer you're probably like the fuck is media producer like nobody (laughs) knows what this is so i i went into the link and it took me to a faq page about periscope from 2022 that just had like some extra like elon musk stuff like slapped on it Mm -hmm. that like like and including like interviews from like from um i don't even remember the last guy that ran twitter well it was the well there was the other pajit 
There was, yeah, I don't even know his name. You know, no one does. Swami Kumaswaram Bandi. Um, Something. Uh, <laughs> Something. I only know the two white men, Jack and Neon. Yeah, who could who could remember that guy? I don't know. Like, yeah, he he was there for like what? No five, personality. Five minutes. No personality, but also somehow had like weird personal ties to like FBI agents, and, like like everybody like. Eh, were... Who cares? You know. <laughs> who cares? He was yeah, just... very um Obama like history. Yeah, totally. Uh, but very funny yeah, the, stuff. I I love that Periscope because I remember when Periscope was like the hot thing on Twitter back oh, yeah. in 2016, 17. So it's like, I, I love that you're like the sole, the sole proprietor of, uh, of Periscope stream still. Um, well, I looked it up once they took it off. I just searched like Twitter broadcasts in yeah. just like general search. Nobody, nobody said anything about it being taken off. I was, when I searched it, it was my post. That came up on the top with like with like six likes um, about Twitter broadcasts being taken down, and then like another post that was like four weeks old about how like I heard they're taking Twitter broadcasts off. That My was God. it. I, I don't know who that was. But... I just you know, listen, Elon Musk. We need you need to keep it up just for for Ev. Like he's. The I think one... he is going to bring it back. I, well, I, that's he better. What they're saying um, he better. Like, I hope I hope so because um, you get Twitch to, is just so bad. Um, it's the so one censored. It's the one gamer thing that's bad. You know, Discord's good as we <laughs> as we've discovered uh, recently with the uh, recent TPM Discord. Uh, Discord is nice. Yeah, it's, I, it's old school forum, but with like it works too, which is just nice. yeah. It, it's just it, nice to have a smooth thing that works. Yeah, I mean, I know people kind of point and laugh at the gamer cringy stuff. It's like you can ignore like that almost all the time. And yeah, I learned I learned because oh, yeah. I, I paid for the Nitro, like their paid service thing. It's like, oh, yeah, you can have like custom banners on it akin to like old forums. I'm like, it's wow. so cute. It's uh, yeah, I, I put soccer blossoms on mine. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, awesome, and it's and you know, in the spirit of talking about mechanics, it's like Discord is one of those things. Like, if only people could just decouple their like, oh, this is a gamer thing, or this is a whatever. Like, it's like a cool program; it works well. Um, I feel that way about Tumblr, which I don't think anybody else talks about. Like how the Tumblr terms of service are basically identical to the Twitter terms of service, where they just let you do anything at all. Yeah. Um, I don't have a Tumblr, but I always like kind of visualize in my head a world where like there's a right wing Tumblr <laughs> <laughs> group where that just posts like sick shit and they can't get banned for it because there's nothing in the terms of service against it. Yeah, um, I, 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 mine's the one I had is still up, but I don't remember the login information. So it's just kind of sitting there, I think. Um, which is funny too because I actually got reminded of my my Tumblr account on Twitter. Someone screenshotted my most famous post from Whoa. Tumblr, and I yeah. saw that I saw that on on my Twitter time. I was like, "Oh my god! It, it it's breached Tumblr. It's like it's it's a normie meme now." <laughs> it was just me taking a picture of my high school text economics textbook and seeing something really funny at the time. You know, being a dumb high schooler. Wow. Like, oh, so it's old. 
Yeah, it's from. I don't know how old you are, but I assume that's probably. It was. It was in. I made that post in 2013, and the last time I checked, which was like five, six years ago, it had like 400,000 likes. Um, so who knows what it has now? What? Yeah. What? Yeah. Who knows what it has now? But I was just like, wow. I got reminded of like, it's like the digital footprint. Uh, reminding you of like your past that you try to like kind of your your old digital past that you try to like shun away. Isn't it um, funny how it's 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 never what you really want it to be? Like <laughs> not necessarily in a bad way, but it's like the thing that I made that um cracks me up. I see it all the time is I made that image of the like guy in the car with the blunt um that says blocked by Lindy Man on it. <laughs> <laughs> and i did that in like in like 10 minutes in a group chat like just la- laughing my ass off one day and i didn't save the psd file or anything like i was just laughing so hard and i gave it to a friend of mine um and he uploaded it and then like my wife sent it to me like three months later she was like you you're gonna think this is so funny and i'm like yeah. Oh, yeah, i fucking made that <laughs> you don't understand and now there's like all these. There's a remix of them like with Charlie XCX on the windshield. Um, <laughs> oh, there's oh, one with like the, the 911 twin towers <laughs> and like just everything you can imagine. Like it's I, such. Oh a, my god! No, okay, now I know. Yeah, I know exactly. Well, I see yeah. the Charlie XCX one. It's like, oh my god, that's so okay. Yeah, no, no, no. I remember that too. Yeah, I remember the 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 origin when like that, that appeared. Is, Every and then time I, it's posted, it, it gets like 10,000 too, which is yeah, so funny. It, I've never posted it on my own. Like it's, it's an egregore. It just exists separately it, from me. It's so funny. I mean, I love it. The Charlie XCX remix one, just because I'm a, a simp for her, I guess you could say. She's oh, my yeah. queen. Um, I have some but... funny stories about her that maybe I can tell you some other time. But... <laughs> like personal, oh, like... Um, experiences with her. Not not me personally, but I have, I have a friend who... Well, uh, it's I can't go into it. It's too personal, but it's, it's <laughs> funny. It is really funny. You can um, we can discuss it in the in the chat in our in our messages later. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, no, it's but, good. you'll like it. Um, but yeah, I I just wanted to say I love Evcast just because it's something unique amongst you know uh, a oh, swarm you. of digital creations people are making nowadays. Like it's just nice to have like a nice little digital show that like happens you know pretty weekly you know, weekly right if i remember correctly weekly when i when i feel like it kind of yeah sort of the deal like it's it's weekly if i'm not like uh something comes up basically yeah um, it it's a lot of fun whenever i got tuned in it's just it, it takes me back it takes me to those like future crew uh demo videos of the 90s um but uh, I want to ask you, since it is the tradition of the show for first-time guests, is to where does the Ev gaming history begin? Where, where, where does young Ev pick up his interest for games? Mm, so um, when I was a kid, like a young kid, I think I played Super Mario for the first time. I may have been like four or five. Yes. Uh, and then we didn't, we couldn't. I don't know if we couldn't afford it. Or if my parents were just cheap, but they put a pirated emulator on the computer that had like, and this was like DOS era, mm-hmm. when they put like all the Mario games, all the Kirby games, all the um, 
like cool DOS games. And so I have like, I have an interesting, cause this is actually like probably 10 years or so before when I was born, which is uh, 93. Yeah. So I have like an interesting, like whole picture of, of gaming that like most 30 year olds like don't really have uh-huh. um, because I just grew up with like DOS just because they were just like, well, we'll pirate all these games and mm-hmm. give them to you to play, to keep you, yeah. you shut up for a second. Um, <laughs> like yeah. just trying to make your kid happy. Like, yeah, um, it's rare to, you don't hear many stories of parents going out of their way to do that. No, it was really sweet. My dad used to, um, joke that my mom would go to jail for doing it she's like they're gonna come for you for pirating super mario because <laughs> like back then it was like a 70 dollar game or something like that for adjusted for inflation mm-hmm. um actually maybe even more because i know oh, it's were more like 50 back then it was more they're, so they're the like ga- games of 20 now yeah games of the past like were 50 and 60 yeah they, they're 120 oh, man, now wild. we're actually things are pretty good in a way we're yeah ga- gamers whining about 70 dollar games but yeah we're actually doing just fine with it's, actually, it's actually good. Um, yeah, <laughs> gaming games have uh, somehow uh, resisted inflation for so long. Yeah, I don't know. That is an interesting. Like, why to this day? And I'm I'm the same way. I'm not like pointing fingers, but like I hate to buy a game for more than twenty dollars. I try like, to boast to unless it's a new thing that I I have to own. Like you know, I have to be there when it comes out. Sort yeah. of thing. But like no. With my retro buying, if I buy anything above like thirty, I'm just like, ooh, mm, like, yeah, I'm the same way. I have to, I have to know that whatever anything I buy, I have to know that I could flip it for double. Like mm-hmm. it's just a weird like salesman uh, impulse or something that I I don't know where I get. Uh-huh. But yeah, the um after that it was it was sixty four and uh, Kirby's uh, Dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it called? That's such Crystal a fantastic shards. game. Crystal shards, yeah, with that like terrifying atmosphere that pervades the entire game. Yeah, like like the the post apocalyptic landscape at the end, and like the weird like industrial decay like that's in it. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah. Which influenced my aesthetics forever. Like the mixture of the weird like cute like um sort of Technicolor mm-hmm. or not Technicolor uh like pastel things with all the weird um. That's aggressive. a very Japanese vision. Yeah, very harsh and aggressive, like aesthetics mixed with like friendly. Yeah, yeah, no, it's and it's it's a very Japanese thing, and I, I know this the show goes into a lot of like Japanese sort of that particular aesthetic, like this, the and the Japanese gaming world because that's where the best stuff is being made in terms of like creative vision. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, like near has that kind of feeling too, where like it's it's cute, but it's it's dismal at the same time. Oh yeah. Um, and then like I got a PS or I got a GameCube. I got a PS2 like really late. I got like a PS2 like after I got a GameCube. Um, and that's how I got Shadow of the Colossus. And then after that, really just PC. Um, got into Morrowind really strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, Morrowind was the first game that I sunk like probably I don't have any times on it because I didn't have Steam for it but mm-hmm. probably over 300 hours like a lot maybe a thousand I don't know 
I'm trying I mean, to that, that's that's the Bethesda machine is they will they will they will latch onto you and you will play their games forever. And that was a particularly special game. Like the 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 environment was so alien and so unlike any other. Like you didn't it didn't make you feel like you were just some like fucking guy playing D and D, you know, mm-hmm. with like dragons and gnomes. <laughs> and fucking like it was like a genuinely like interesting like literary sci-fi environment with like the giant mushrooms and the kind of mythological background yeah it um, it it elevated that aesthetic out of and the oblivion sort of... was just like all oh, the way yeah. like we're gonna put the fucking rainbows and gnomes and everything in there uh, mm-hmm. which is fine it was a fun game but yeah it definitely wasn't uh it wasn't Morrowind with that yeah. alien, cold, like desert landscape, mm-hmm. and yeah. the fucking talking lizards and cats and stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, my big memory with Morrowind, or my my visual memory of it, is just like these almost Shadow of the Colossus s just blank environments that are just so yes. so just very like cruel looking, like just very uninviting and almost brutalist. Yeah. yeah, and whether or not that was a limitation of what they were working with or their knowledge of 3D or, you know, their intention, it doesn't have to be any a specific one. It's probably a mixture of three. But, mm-hmm. you know, that that's that 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 transitory period uh where like 3D had been sort of late the groundworks of 3D had been established from years prior. But now we have enough technology where we can render pretty more detailed 3D worlds, but not enough. Like where there's still a little bit of room for your brain to imagine something. Like mm, yeah. that that's sort of what I always love about that generation PC gaming and also the consoles too. Even though the consoles could produce very high fidelity and visually exp- it, extreme games you know like shadow of the colossus for one but there were still like things that didn't look 100 percent like correct like and shadow of the colossus notoriously taxed the ps2 oh, it to brought, its i was talking with a, a friend of the pod former guest of the show fog brain about this where it's like if if Shadow of the Colossus was not a Sony game, it probably w- would have never been allowed on any other system. I mean, it, mm. it, we'll get into it proper, but I mean, yeah. playing the original PS2 version of Shadow is like uh, that is in a, that is a test of one's spirit and resolve to deal with that frame rate. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it, it's that was also a thing. That's also, you know, I I love when there's those games that come out um where they are just they are there to be like a showcase of what the system can do but as a result it makes the games just tank so hard they just bring the console to its knees so to say mm-hmm. uh, i i personally love when a games do that is like here's our final showcase for the system and it is going to run like trash and you're going to play it and love it Yes, and it, and you know what I think at the time it uh, it felt filmic too because you know films run at I forget what frame rate it's like naturally 24. all films are like twenty four 
Mm-hmm. And so games are kind of interesting in that, like the d- the demand of a consumer for a high frame rate is um, pretty strong. Like people people get pretty angry if their game is locked at like twenty four. Oh yeah, I mean, most games at their minimum will shoot for thirty. Um, I mean, I've I've unfortunately hit the point in my life where because the newer systems run most of the games at 60 now or as an option i'm just like i can't play anything under 30 now my brain just can't process the, like the choppy look of it all mm, yeah like yeah. booting it up is hard to go back but i mean it's not like i can't play it sort of thing but like i don't know there, there's there's sort of a a charm to like like you know uh, Ocarina of Time famously like ran at 20 frames per second on the N64. Like mm. it does not look pretty in quotes per se. Like it feels kind of like sluggish, but it still works. Like these chuggy games can still like elicit uh an emotional response out of you. At you know, you could still play them, sort of thing. Um mm-hmm. yeah. I I I wonder when that will happen with these current gen consoles. We kind of avoided them because it seemed like developers are very cognizant of like not making their games like sluggish and perform awfully nowadays. They're very yeah. cognizant of like we need our game to run properly unless you're Bloodborne and then you play like playing Bloodborne on a PS4 is just like, oh boy, like this is not optimized and very choppy very choppy and it's never getting patched or fixed well the people on fucking like steam will will just like pile drive a game to nothing if it runs at 29 frames a second yeah something that's always bothered me about like pc gamers is that like they, they they will look at a game that is like ideal and it will get it will get a meta score or whatever of like 10 because <laughs> it'll be like, I couldn't run this on Linux Mint. Yeah, exactly. It wouldn't fucking run. It wouldn't run on my uh, custom fucking skinned Windows Listen, XP setup. Yeah. I mean, I remember growing up about how I had a friend who was into PC gaming in the late 2000s, early 2010s, where it's like, Oh, you're playing a console game at 30 frames per second. Yeah, yeah you so elitist. Yeah, you know you are you, but you're a but a mere uh, surf compared to my royal tower next to me. They still um, do look really good on the PC. I, I will say that to the point that like I I am still carrying on the tradition of Shadow of the Colossus by running all my games at <laughs> such a high quality that they. They chop it down to like 30 frames a second. Like <laughs> hey, usually. Like hey, I'm playing Red Dead right now and um uh for the first time ever, like because I play every game I like 10 years late, but hey, well, um hey, better better late than never. Right. Well I, I like I like um avoiding the hype a little bit so so I can truly form an opinion on it and enjoy it like at my own pace. See, you're um, I'm the opposite where it's just like I have to be at the hype present. Uh, evidence as as you know i did a re- you know my review of re4 remake where i'm like i can't say i can't keep myself from being hyped sort of thing uh mm, i have to yeah, yeah but um there's some games that i try to i like one one game i guess games 
that I've resisted to play because I don't want to be a part of the hype cycle because their hype cycle is uniquely obnoxious is the God of War reboots. Oh yeah. Like yeah. I I <clears throat> I have not played the 2018 one and I planned on playing it recently but then the sequel came out and that obnoxious hype that those games have like made me resistant to ever playing those games again for another 5 years. It's like I'm not dealing with this for now. Like I God of War the reboot God of Wars have a unique and very obnoxious hype and uh fervor behind them that I just cannot get behind. Yeah, they're I've never gotten super into those games. They have a certain uh WWE factor to them. Oh yeah, uh, here's like for me, I mean, have you played the originals, the original God of Wars? Only like passingly. Like at friends' uh, houses back when they came I out. Mean, I, I what I loved about the originals is that they're just the utmost and not you know unabashed male fantasy thing where it's like I get to pl- LARP as my Greek god, my original Greek god character who is a muscle bound like skin <laughs> skinhead, and he gets to fuck women on the side while he brutally murders monsters and humans, like. That's when always the allure of God of War, um, along the sort of visual set piece galore that God of War has been known for. And then they reboot the franchise, and now Kratos has feelings. Oh, it's like Wolfenstein. Yeah, like Kratos has, he has, you know, he's he's somber. I'm like, Ah. Kratos should be like... uh, gangbanging women, like, as he's, like, (laughs) decapitating, like, some insert greek mythology monster of the day sort of thing they should do like an emo duke nukem reboot (laughs) that would be really good oh my god that would be great i i I kind of can get behind that one like that that would be so absurd that it would it would actually be entertaining like like duke nukem wolfenstein where he's like trying (laughs) he's trying to save jewish children from fucking yeah (laughs) like Duke, uh, duke nukem uh being Duke Nukem being a Vassell or a voluntary <laughs> celibate. It's like, listen, ladies, I'm staying away because none of you can meet my <laughs> my expectations. That that would be an interesting, funny reboot, but uh I think Duke Nukem will uh never be touched again. <laughs> no, I think I think they killed it with uh Forever, sadly. Because yeah, it was uh, such a funny um meme, honestly. I kind of wish that they had just never released it. Yeah, but I guess I'm glad that that came to an end, but it really was not good. I mean, I don't think that game would ever have been good, maybe in its early days of development, but after like eight years of development, that game was never going to be good. Um, they probably made money with it as a stupid thing, just because oh, so absolutely. many people wanted to play Duke Nukem forever that oh, it didn't have to be good. The meme had reached fever pitch, and I guess the closest we have gotten is um, Dead Island 2 is coming out, I think, in... Let me oh, check shit, my, really? It's coming out in three days. Uh, oh, and that game was realize. That game was announced nine years ago. But I actually really liked that game. Um, that was kind of one of the early... That I will say it came out at a poor time because, like, when that first Dead Island came out, it was like at a moment culturally where it was like, we already have 35 fucking zombie games. And it we was got like 30... every game that came out was a fucking zombie game. And we that have was... 35 more in the pipeline. 
Yeah, it was like what I was talking earlier about that, like that just like nadir from like 2008 to 2014 or so of PC gaming and gaming in general. It was just like it was fucking zombie tower defense. Yeah. Like just nothing, just garbage. But Dead Island was actually um I'll say I played it with uh, with my brother mm-hmm. uh in co-op and it was really fun that way. Yeah. Um, kind of like Left 4 Dead in a way. Dead Island is so fascinating to me because that initial trailer that they put out was <laughs> un, un yeah. uh, unironically amazing. It was truly a breathtaking oh, yeah. trailer. And I think now it seems so silly to watch that, but yeah, but in hindsight, at the time, yeah, I feel in hindsight where it's like, yeah, one of your characters, his name is Sam B, <laughs> and he's a rapper, yeah. yeah, uh, and he's just making like every like stereotypical rapper like one liner as he's like killing zombies. It there's a there's a la- I had issues with it because well, granted, because I got it at launch and it was broken at launch. but i'm wondering if they fixed it to be playable now like i never had any issues with it Um, when i played it um i don't know when i played it years and years ago at this point but it also might have been played but it might have might have ran better on pc i played it on ps3 at the time um oh yeah yeah probably uh, not i just remember that game being busted as shit on the ps3 um yeah but what I, I say the one thing that always interested me about Dead Island was it was just so sleazy feeling. Like it just it felt just so like it kind of felt exploitative at points. Uh where like all like so many zombies are like it, it embraces its island resort theme where you just get yeah. oh yeah, we got bikini babes, uh zombies, we got it like It feels like the uh, the Scooby Doo live action movie. There's like the weird, there's like the tribal zombies that were, were very Resident Evil 5. Um, <laughs> you know, when you were allowed to like have tribal enemies in a game, uh, can't do that anymore, uh, unless oh, it's yeah. a multicultural tribe, like, uh, oh, in Horizon, like in Horizon Zero Dawn, my mortal enemies, mortal nemesis. Um, but yeah, and you know another thing that i liked about your gaming history you know in the brief messages we shared together was uh our both our disdain for dragon age inquisition um yeah uh, the, true, I, the true arbiter of negative of bad times i have to find the character that made me quit playing that game i'm well, just going on the wikipedia wo- page right now and i'm like i'm like was it a female or a male uh that was that's the question isn't it i mean i remember <laughs> I mean, there's there's the dwarf Varric, there's Iron Bolt, who's you know the BDSM pansexual, or his entire <laughs> yeah, that might have been it. I uh, uh, I think it was a character that got like introduced, and I was like, man, fuck this. There's uh, Dorian, who's like the foppish uh, gay guy. Iron Bull is like a woman, though. No, he's a man. The... He's no, a man. no, no. It's like one of the characters is like, fuck. What is it? Is it um? There's no, Jos- I think- Josephine. There's the like queenish black woman. I think her name's Vivian. Oh god, there's so many characters like NPCs. Dragon like Age Inquisition. I have to know because I think there's a character. Oh, is that the <laughs> like the like cockneyed like elf? Yeah, girl? the fucking uh, that's bad too. Sarah? And I hate the fucking bald uh, mage character Vivian. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's the one I'm talking fucking about. Fucking hate Vivian. None of the characters were likable. 
I only like Cole because he has like a school shooter vibe. Um, <laughs> I forgot about Cole, Cole. was funny. Uh, Cole was Cole... funny. I kind of like Dorian because he was like <laughs> he was kind of like dandyish in a sense. Like Dorian is fun too. In retrospect, I think even at the time he annoyed me. Um, uh, he, I think yeah. I mean, at the time he was annoying, but I think over over time I've come to like him. Just yes, because he's like very. He's stereotypical in a fun way, where he's just it's, like it's the classic everything is conservative after ten years thing, yeah. where like <laughs> Doreen is like, oh, cool, he's like uh, uh, Salvador Dali or yeah, some he's... kind of like dandy Oscar Wilde guy. Or... Yeah, and he happens to yeah, he just happens to be a lover of men. Like he's right, just, just, just happens to be. Yeah, he's just a classic homosexual. And that's that was like... how they did characters back in when was inquisition released like 2014 2014 yeah like after after the trump years it became like just totally in your face in the way but like before 2014 it was like mass effect 3 the gay characters where it was just like it i can't man it's so funny the way that the one is introduced in the in mass effect 3 where you're like working on a ship or something and then, like, you just in. I, I forget how it even works. It's so funny, though. Like, all the gay characters were written in this insanely, like, ham handed, like, like shoehorned way. Oh, um, uh, yeah. That at the time was, was given accolades because they were like, oh, wow, it's an open world game with a, with a gay character. I can romance and, the homosexuals. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, um, Mass Effect 3 in particular, though, had one very very funny character and it was like a non it wasn't a crew member like like when you could take on missions it was like a shit mechanic who yeah, like I, my fuck, my mass, so funny my mass effect memory is very foggy right now so i couldn't help you in that sense but yeah inquisition was a signal of dark times for the game industry because yeah. like 2013 yeah. to like 2017 there was like a black hole of just like nothing really coming out that was like interesting in any sense. I mean, the only thing that I can really remember of that arrow that was like good quote unquote was like bloodborne, but that bloodborne and I guess yeah. any dark souls game that came out, but that like, era. I, I could not tell you like what else came out i mean metal gear solid 5 came out in that time so you know okay it gets a it gets another gold star but it's like what three right. out of three out of the like hundreds it took um, three years it took from inquisition i don't think i could enjoy gaming until like near automata came out that and yeah then, that that was the moment where i was like oh oh this oh, a game that captivates me in like a way that is like you know, thought provoking of 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 the good old days. Like that was shocking. Like I remember Automata. Like I remember being interested in it because I saw videos that got me interested into the near the you know the first near and also the Dragon Guard series. But I remember seeing all the trailers for Automata. I was like, okay, like this could be interesting. And then playing it, I was like, oh, I can't stop playing this. I have to beat it right now. Like playing it for like eight hours straight because I was just I was addicted to like what this game was putting out. Yeah. Because nothing else like was like it at the time. I mean, 
you had this very like self-reflective meta commentary about games and violence i mean granted there's been this sort of theme before in games but like to see it done in a new and interesting way that was like violent and full of just like just full on there's like just chaos and like screaming all the time and like robot like these robots having emotions and feelings and i remember the shirtless guys randomly at the beginning uh adam and was it adam and Mm. eve were they was they the two like i remember them and i remember like the ending of or the beginning of uh ending c with all the all the and uh androids who are all are in maid school uh maid outfits by the way BDS with like thigh high stripper boots and they're all just going crazy and killing each other violently it's it was so captivating to play that back in 2017 notably doesn't um do the sort of like humanistic uh like oh our android it it plays a little bit with the like oh our androids humans that have feelings it it does Mm -hmm. this thing where um the whole time for the whole game you're left up in the air as to whether your character has any emotions basically yeah um which is really interesting and there's there's one mission in particular where that it does kind of let loose that okay these characters are like sentient in a real way um and it and it plays this really gorgeous like string soundtrack once you find out that like the the tragedy of of what it is i can't remember exactly the mission um but i remember yeah just just um the relief i felt playing that game i was like oh like they can be this good i remember like as a kid like what it was that allured me about these things like um yeah it it called back on it, it basically had brought gaming back to like pre-beginning ps4 era where you know a lot of game studios were hyper focused on just like how do they keep you hooked on the loop per se like the infinite game that never ends it's like well automata is like this self-contained for the most part self-contained story that just was so extreme and so harsh and so abrasive while still being like this somber, melancholic, beautiful experience that I was not expecting. Like I did not expect it to be such a fantastic game. I think it's still trying to remember. I think it was like my favorite game of 2017. In all honesty, if I were to give like the game of the year, quote unquote, it would have been to Automata. I didn't play another game until Death Stranding came out. I was so I was so awed by Automata. I was like, nothing can be this good. Um, yeah. I did play actually no, I played Yakuza, um, and I was pretty impressed with Yakuza. In yeah, the same fashion. yeah. You, the Yakuza is definitely is another series that resisted a lot of the trends that you know like it it was not of like the dragon age inquisition or the bungee or the destiny crowd where it was just like hey here's this ps2 brawler game basically but now it has fancy graphics and it was a a yakuza mission where you convince a schoolgirl to stop selling her panties 
<laughs> that like it, it like ends up being really emotional and uh i think if, if i'm thinking right the right mission maybe i'm thinking of something else but i was just like oh. wow this is this is what it should be like it should just be you know a platter of of everything it's like uh, I, I'm checking to see what the proper game of the year of 2017 was, and that was Breath of the Wild. Forgot about that. Oops. Oh, Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Uh, but never finished it. Honestly, um, I don't think I mean, most people finished it. To be honest. <laughs> no, it's. I always have torn feelings about Breath of the Wild because it's like, on one hand, it is such a throwback to older games in the sense that. In a, in, a, in a way that it's like like the game we're talking about, Shadow of the Colossus, it's very systems-driven where there's a lot of like mechanical complexity that allows for you to really just do as you please, and you can craft your own stories, and I like the sort of aesthetics of it all, like where this, the light tinges of like the Japanese like samurai era, like aesthetics kind of spruced here and there. It's not total... Oh, yeah. No, but it's, it's there but... um but then like on one hand i miss the sort of zelda elements like i miss the dungeons and dungeon crawling i like the sort of grand zelda story that breath of the wild just didn't have it 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 almost had but it was it was a it was kind of lacking in that department when it shouldn't have like it, it had all the proper pillars to do it but they didn't do it Seems like the sequel is going to be fixing that, and I'm definitely interested to see what the sequel does. Um, the fact in the sequel you can literally create your own weapons is like really funny. Huh. Um, you can like literally stack uh, four swords on top of each other to make like a hyper long sword. Uh, I've seen one where you can like put a fan on a shield, and it's like, oh, now I have like a glider basically. Oh, that's kind of fun. That's a mechanic that like a bit like um we were talking about crystal shards where you you there's just like infinite combinations of well theoretically infinite not really infinite but it it, it oddly reminds me of banjo and kazooie nuts and bolts the 360 game oh where, shit yeah which is real that is a game if that is what they were that's inspired by, if if that's what they were inspired by that is hilarious um but yeah i i will say yeah, Death Stranding, obviously, you know, Kojima dick sucker right here reporting live to you tonight. Um, <laughs> I mean, Death Stranding might be one. Of, I mean, I think I always go back between it and Devil May Cry 5 for the best PS4 game. It's so hard for me to pick because they, they both do something completely different. Mm -hmm. But both things that they do scratch a part of my goblin brain that loves about games it's like Death Stranding is the most lonely piece of like gaming I've ever played, and yet it's so beautiful and touching and melancholy. But then Devil May Cry is like uh action combat galore with like anime characters uh settling their fan uh family disputes. I'm just like that also makes me happy. <laughs> it's like mm, it is yeah. so I, I will say that the Gaming has slowly crawled back out of the pit of despair. Now, obviously, there are still things that gaming has to address. You know, I think Western games are in a very dire strait of things. Mm -hmm. um, I think Japanese game developers are the are our last hope 
in that sense where they're I still think it's making been that way for a long time yeah, at least a, even, at least yeah. a decade it's like just, they're the, just because they don't have um the lens i don't know what it is to be honest i don't know why it is that these japanese people are so fucking good at everything i think um, they just see the potential of the medium and they whether it be just a strict pure fun experience or something out there and unique like a death stranding or a near automata like they just see games purely as like okay like we're gonna make something and not i think so much... i think yeah because you look at like i think about this all the time i think about kojima's uh instagram page is <laughs> uh, something i think about like more than a normal person should where he's just like he's just like one upload is like i saw lego star wars today that's like that, what a great movie and then the next one is like criterion solo yeah uh, <laughs> 100 days of it's like like i think japanese people have a certain um critical innocence that that western um writers and thinkers don't have because they've been uh, poisoned we're we're so poisoned by media and the internet that like everybody has to um people enjoy talking about things more than they enjoy doing them um mm -hmm. like this is a problem with music is like music criticism is like people enjoy telling other people they listen to something than they enjoy listening mm -hmm. to it and the gaming is the same way whether it's like a western art game it's like they constantly fail because they're like they're like art games in the sense that like they've set out already to be um critical darlings yeah in this way that that it just never works out it's i think we talked before about yicky or what or Yik. what's it called Yik. Yik. yeah um yeah. that's what <laughs> happens when when reddit americans set out <laughs> to make an an art game versus make... like the worst japanese art game is like fucking like i don't know like any jrpg you can pick up which is <laughs> might be boring but it's still like worth sinking in 20 hours into uh, and seeing what happens at the end oh yik yik is uh it's something it's when a, when you let reddit make earthbound very uh, funny game i mean just the fact that that um a guy made an entire game about dating asian girls is very, it's very funny. it is it's camp i mean there's no other way to describe it for me it is so absurd and so if you call it camp it, it it makes me want to actually get into it now like i, never, I mean never it, it. it's just it's so it's so weird because it's like on one hand like it has just some downright cringy moments that are just like only reddit could make mm -hmm. but like at the same time it's like he put in a fair amount of work to actually make something that stands out like he didn't do the typical indie game trope where it's just like, here's my bad pixel art 2D scrolling game. Yes. Like, he actually kind of yeah. tried to do something kind of original-ish, kind of. It looks good when you look at screenshots of it. It, it actually looks decent. Yeah, it's just, you know, it it's soaked in the proverbial waters of, like, Redditism, like, the religion of Redditism. And it's just like, it's so just... I don't, it's a funny game. It's a funny game, and it feels like like something I would make, but without the Reddit. 
in it. Like yeah. If I could I mean, just like slap together a game, maybe one day AI would be so good. I can just get, like, <laughs> you know, mid journey, make me yik, but I, less I, shitty. Um, I would, I admire it for the fact that that man did so much work to make that. Like not many people can literally just say, I'm going to make a game and then actually do it. And do it. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody like, says I'm going to make a game. Uh, I'm going to yeah. write a novel. I'm going to fucking make an album, a concept album. Like that's, yeah, credit credit to that man for doing that's it. That's true. But, yeah, but like at the same time, she's like, "Ooh, buddy, oh no, don't do that, no, no." It's like, yeah. uh, you know, I learned very early in college that making games is fucking hard, and I don't yeah. have the capacity or wherewithal to do it. I would like to think, like, I always have game ideas in my head. But man, oh man, could I not spend five, at least five years of my own learning how to do art, learning how to code, learning how to make music, learning how, you know, all this, all all this stuff. It's like people don't understand how hard it is to make a game. No one does. No, it's a huge, huge endeavor and it's only getting more complex. I, don't, I, I This is another thing like AI is getting to the point where you you have to ask questions like what will AI do to make maybe game development faster because now you can just like well yeah you can... people that, that that you can like type in like make me a game of pong that has four paddle boards instead of two and it will just code you that like i mean i i've seen people actually ask ai to like write code strips for them and then it does it right so i mean yeah, it could I mean, it could happen. I don't know. I, I I want a big name publisher. Here's our game made entirely in AI, and it's like right, some, yeah. like absolute monstrosity. <laughs> I'll pay. I'll pay for that one. That'll be interesting. Um, yeah, it it will run only slightly better than uh, um, <laughs> Shadow Shadow of Chernobyl. Or, uh... <laughs> It'll run slightly better than a uh, Stalker. Um, just barely. The stalker though. was made by AI, primitive, yeah. primitive Soviet AI, primitive Soviet AI running off of like computers from the eighties. That's Stalker. <laughs> Window pirated Windows XP ATMs. Yeah, <laughs> that's so true. Oh my god! But uh, I loved hearing all this. I mean, again, I love hearing everyone's history. I mean, everyone's got their own unique story, and everyone's got their own unique takes on games, and I always like hearing them. So. I think this is good time for us to transition to the first part of tonight. And I know I have talked about minimalism before on this show. I think I talked about it on Mirror, the Mirror's Edge episode. But I think, you know, obviously as I do this show, I'm realizing, oh, wow, like a lot of games do certain things really well or certain creators or studios do really well or just games do as a whole really well. And I think minimalism is actually a medium in which gaming actually can do it very well. And Shadow of the Colossus is an example, but also Fumito Oeda, the direct, the creator of this game and games like Ico and The Last Guardian, where it's not so much about flooding the player with mechanics and uh, different ideas. It's more about presenting a very, a fully fleshed singular idea and going from there, I mean, you could look at any of the Team Ico games, and it's like they have such a dra a very stark look to them that is different from everything, really. I mean, 
and I, I and there's other games too that do it i mean mirror's edge is another one where it's minimalism conveys the sort of goals that it tries to do it's intended meaning and sort of uh in you know emotions that it wants to get out of you but you know i can think of games such as like another world from the ms dos era where it's a cinematic platformer where there's no ui elements and it's just all about embracing the sort of beautiful blocky dos visuals you know so i guess my question to you ev is what do you think about minimalism in games you know I think I think it's an interesting question um, because I've always uh, something that I did since I was probably like twelve. I was playing RuneScape. Oh, and uh, I just uh, one day I I had gotten I'd sunk in the customary uh, however many billion hours into it, and I it was the first time I had thought in this thing. I was like, what am I actually doing here? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm clicking a point on a map clicking another point on a map to like go farm something and then clicking something else. And I'm spending like three hours in my day, four hours, five, six hours doing this. And I just quit instantly. Um, Mm -hmm. And ever since then, I've looked at game mechanics in terms of like, what would happen if I, if I reduce this down to like Pong, Mm -hmm. like for a first person shooter, I'm always thinking like, is this more than a dot on a screen and another dot on the screen where you have to move your dot to? Mm-hmm. Is this more than, you know, and that's why I, I think games like, like Ico and, and Shadow of the Colossus are so fascinating because they resist the target shooter um, mm-hmm. mentality of probably, let's be honest, it's, it's got to be 70% of the games do this. Um and uh death stranding is another game that that does this where shadow of the colossus makes you be bored intentionally to um take you out of the point and click world mm-hmm. um, it takes it puts you into a world where you a game is not as simple as a dot following another dot mm-hmm. um like like just trying to get a hitbox right mm-hmm. uh, that's sort that's sort of like the part of games where in terms of can they be art i i always run into problems with like well is this just like a target practice simulator with a skin yeah um shadow of the colossus ico death stranding uh there's also other games like um the infamous lsd dream emulator oh yeah um, i heard of that one it's almost not a game at that point um mm-hmm. and i think in order for a game to to be art it has to embrace a sort of minimal minimalism in this sense it has to understand what it is uh mm-hmm. and 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 use its mechanics in a more roundabout fashion than than simply um pointing and aiming uh and, and in fact in death stranding this was one of the main ethos is behind the whole game was that he said he wanted to go past the the point he wanted to go past the fps he wanted to evolve gaming past the fps he said that up until he used kobo abe as a quote to uh do this he said up until now the history of man has been the stick Mm -hmm. uh and and now we want to use the rope and so death Mm -hmm. stranding is the rope 
Um, yeah. Now, now in terms of in those terms, I would say Shadow of the Colossus still has a bit of the stick in it. Um, you're still sort of like aiming for a point and going to a point, but the way the camera works and the intervals in between, like the sheer ambiance of like getting to something, uh, almost takes it out of the game world mm-hmm. and puts it into something different. Puts it into a world where, you know. You're like, why am I watching this horse screensaver? <laughs> but and yet, you know, it, it is an enjoyable experience, just like watching a movie would be, even though you're not, quote unquote, doing anything. Um, that's mm-hmm. what real minimalism is to me is, is in a game where you're you're actually not doing anything. You might be pushing a controller up with your thumb. You might be hitting X. Mm-hmm. But in reality, uh nothing is happening um there's yeah. the infamous scene in, in one of the metal gear solids where you climb a ladder for like 20 minutes <laughs> what um, a thrill that's incredible like that's uh more of that should happen if people if developers want to convince anybody that games um can constitute something you could call art yeah um, I, I, it's interesting games i feel like gaming is a medium that is almost kind of like prime for this concept of thinking because there's always this term that people float around of immersion in games. Like we can't break your immersion per se. And I feel like immersion, like immersion is like sort of the barrier for you to like really cross the line from just like, I know it's a game to I, to the, this is more than just a game thing. Like there, I feel like immersion is like, it's part of the pie, I guess you could say. And mm-hmm. what's interesting about Ueda, Fumito Ueda as a game developer is he's known for his design philosophy of, I think it's called the subtraction design where if anything is getting in the way of immersion, whether it be setting or story, then it gets cut. And you see that in all of his works, where if the game doesn't need a HUD element, it's gone. If the game Mm. doesn't... I mean, uh, if the game can avoid having button screen prompts to to get across controls, then that's getting cut. Or if is if are there side quests if there are they're cut like he's known for removing any sort of i guess you could say gamey elements from a game so that the impact in the experience is more impactful at at, at the end of the day and i mean you can look at his catalog you know the three games he has made: Ico, T- Shadow of the Colossus, and The Last Guardian. And to those people, people who have played them, you can hear just the heaping amounts of praise that you know are lavished upon them. You know, you, so many game developers are inspired by this sort of idea, and I see these this minimalism translated into so many other games. I mean whether it be from removing HUD elements or removing like 
uh, extra side content to keep you busy sort of thing. Uh, it's all in service of how do we literally craft an experience, I guess is what I'm trying to get at with minimalism. I, I look at game, you know, Silent Hill is an, I feel like is a game that is like minimalist in its sense because it kind of removes the, it removes the gamey part of its inspiration, which is Resident Evil. It almost, it completely makes it almost like an afterthought for the most part. So that it can hit you with its visuals and its story and its music and atmosphere. And I guess what I'm trying to get at with this whole the minimalism talking point is like there's so many potential ways to to put this practice into use. Like you were saying earlier, it's like you have the Metal Gear Solid 3 ladder sequence where it's just, you know, all you get is a three-minute ladder climbing segment where you're just holding up on the controller as as your Mission Impossible James Bond theme is playing on top of it, and that I'm is like a pro- that yeah. that's like a profound moment in the in the entirety of Metal Gear as a franchise, which is saying a lot, mind you, for Metal Gear. Right. This very cold, very simple, very. Uh, non-engaging and boring segment of the game is somehow like one of the most iconic moments in the entire series. I could think of also in Metal Gear Solid 3 like how the final fight with the boss involves you fighting in that field of flowers where there's no music and all like it's stripped down to like just the core mechanics of the game and then in the final moment the game strips away all of that and just says you have to press one button to make the biggest decision of the game, make the biggest decision of the entire Metal Gear franchise, pretty much. You know, it strips it all down in service of just this one singular moment. And it, again, creates one of the most profound moments in the entire series where you have to pull the trigger to kill the boss. And also, like, like kind of coyly... Um parodies like quick time events in that sense i feel like like you, you boiling down like <laughs> an entire storyline down to like you need to press x mm-hmm. like you have to press x or you have to not press x yeah it and kind that's of, it is it, is i don't know it kind of plays on that whole meme of like prex s to prex press x to win and it's like, well, have to pay respects. Yeah, which granted came after MGS3, but it's like MGS3 was like predicting the future in a sense, as Metal Gear and Kojima often do. Um, but yes. when 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 games like strip down what you know, like what fundamentally makes a game a game, which at its core are mechanics, you know, systems, design, mechanics, you know. You know, level design, combat design, level, you know, all this sort of like surface level observations. When in like the game just cuts all that down as far as it can, you get something kind of magical. And at the result, like I was saying, Mirror's Edge is a great minimalist game because it just strips all it has in the moment to moment gameplay is just you running, and all you have is just your magic runner's vision and faith's breathing as she navigates these like uh 
literal minimalist buildings and design. And I can still in my head remember locations in Mirror's Edge. And that journey, while not perfect, I can still have an experience and an emotional response out of it. I can think of I'm like I'm like looking at my wall, my wall of gaming, just to like see if there's other sort of examples of that where it's uh where it's all about like stripping everything down to like the most bare barest of basics like i think of like god of war 3's ending where to enact your final moment of revenge against the gods it's you have to beat the shit out of zeus like we're to the point where the screen is literally covered in blood and I'm just like that is the most yeah. cathartic cathartic reward a game could have, especially you know being the trilogy as it was, like to finally have that moment killing basically your dad uh, in Zeus. I think if I know my God of War lore correctly, uh, you kill your dad in like the most God of War way possible, where it's just you beating the shit out of him into a bloody pulp, and it's like. There's no like life meter. There's no, uh, there's no like grand operatic declaration of like, you know, your, your emotions. It's just Kratos reverting to his most simple idea with the most minimal mechanics present. And I'm just like, that hits like no other baby. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I, I think, uh, it also is something that has to be acknowledged about like with a game controller, it's a mass, it's a mass media thing too. Like, like compare like an instrument, a musical instrument to a game controller and think about like the simplicity of the game controller compared to a musical instrument. Like, like what, what can you really do with this thing um, at mm -hmm. the end of the day? Uh, and, and some sort of a laugh has to be had when a <laughs> developer cheekily does press X to win or, or, um, you know, there's tons and tons of scenes in all games where you're, you know, you're getting choked out or whatever, and you have to rapidly tap, X, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, um, press X whenever that Jason. is commented on in a non, in a not too annoying meta way, I really appreciate it. Um, there's, uh, there's a fear that things may become all like telltale games mm -hmm. <laughs> in the future. Uh, some, sometimes I wonder, uh, I, I didn't anticipate how popular those would become. Um, neither, neither did I, I'll be honest. I just, I just thought like, Oh, well, there's no game there. Like, why wouldn't you just watch a movie or read a book? Like, yeah. But that's... then it's like gaming, gaming created this situation on itself by by sort of thoughtless um usage of cutscenes and thoughtless usage of of quick time um that was so infamously terrible in the 2010s um, oh yeah the the quick time event which was created in like Shenmue and then Resident Evil 4 ran with that idea it got really bad i mean in later games albeit I have. I will say that there has been some experiences where the quick time event is used. I think in a unique way. Like I, I really enjoy how Heavy Rain 
uses QuickTime events to get its point across where, you know, it, it creatively makes the QuickTime events harder to press or you have to hold series of them down or you have to, like, input the prompt as the prompt on screen is shaking to, to reflect your fear or your anxiety in the moment. Like, the, 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 I guess the proper term for these type, those type of games is like, I guess a choose your own adventure, like drama, I guess. Yeah, Heavy Rain I mean, was weird. Heavy Rain was an odd one. It's an odd one, but I, I genuinely love it for its, uh, unique, uniqueness, I guess you could say. Definitely. They never made another one. Like. Yeah. Well, they only, yeah. Like, well, they did, yeah, they did Beyond Two Souls, the one with, uh, Ellen Page and Willem Dafoe in it. Uh, that's kind of I've never played it, although it always comes across as very silly at times. And I think I've that was the one where El- <laughs> I'm like looking it up right now. Yeah, uh, that's the one where I just remember that for artist formerly known as Ellen Page uh, oh, <laughs> was was up was upset that like there's a nude model. They made a nude model of her in the game or something like that. You know. Wow felt very she felt very uh exposed and it's like well yeah you're an actor like grow a up sweetheart. probably had to be made of you in order to like drink clothing off of or whatever yeah it's like, like the game yeah like sorry baby they always do this <laughs> um but i would love to, to uh, ellen page elliot page or whatever in, in elliot, current form elliot, elliot. sorry babe sorry it's just a very funny uh um but yeah it's that the way those games do minimalism through mechanics is interesting to me because they they strip down games in a way to almost their like most simplest of iconography and like terminology because it's literally just pressing buttons, like just press a button to progress the game. Right. And, but then you get into this weird zone where it's like, oh, well, how is this really different than anything else? You know, yeah, it's, 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 um, it's such a fine, it's a fine line that games ride when they get into that territory, because then you, like you said, you can fairly question, are you a game or not? Because they're trying to emulate filmic sensibilities through like cutscene direction. Now, granted, do they do it all the time in an interesting way? A la film? No. I mean, a lot of game writers, most of the time, I think I said this on the show, most game writers are like C tier Hollywood writers that had their script turned away. So they turned to games because mm. game writing, you, a lot of games have some shit writing, Mm-hmm. And you you know you're you have a little bit of wiggle room to like make a name for yourself if like you can like be forgiven because your mechanics are well done. Um, I see this a lot with Western games where it's just like a a, a C tier Hollywood script if that gets greenlit yeah. because yeah. like oh hey like there's this mildly interesting combat loop that gets in there but. Yeah, the 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 telltale fascination of the 2010s is like I think doing minimalism wrong meanwhile like heavy rain does it right for me, you know. 
Mm -hmm. I latched on to Heavy Rain in those games more so than Telltale because I think, I don't know, Heavy Rain has a much more interesting aesthetic sensibility. And I love the sort of, it's a melodrama, a playable melodrama in that sense. Um, But you look at like something, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. It's like Shadow of the Colossus really only has like three core gameplay mechanics exploration combat and like mild puzzle solving and the puzzle solving is connected to the combat and even mm-hmm. then the combat is just climbing onto something and pressing a button like that's all you re- or two buttons i guess you know that's all you really have to do mm-hmm. but Shadow creates such a captivating moment, like everything around those simple ideas creates something spectacular and transcendental. You know, the fact that you're fighting these enormous beasts while the most grandest of grand soundtrack is playing on top of you. And, you know, the story, while minimal, is just there it, it's like connected to literal the like idea of a game where it's like i have to you know complete my quest in order to do you know as a gamer i have to p- complete my mission like it the minimalist parts of shadow of the colossus create like a like a breeding ground to just like a magical experience and i can say this also for like ico which ico is also very simple where it's platforming very basic combat and guiding around your beautiful little uh, ethereal gf across this castle like on paper a normie would be like that's boring but it's like the like you said earlier the boredom creates something magical the simplicity yeah. creates magic in the process. Mm-hmm. And I, I speaking broadly about team Ico, I can't think of any other game studio that like that was their defining trait. And that defining trait more or less became the template for so many games, even to today, like Elden ring shadow, of the Colossus's blood flows through something like Elden Ring where oh yeah that's true that's true you know I think this speaks highly upon Fumito Oeda and his team and what they accomplished with so little and designing by what little you had I guess and I I I wish more games were willing to make that I guess you could say risk, you know, Mm. games nowadays are so concerned about not boring, you know, boring the player when it's like, well, boring, creating boredom can be fascinating for a game. Like, I guess like death, death stranding is, can be boring at times and many times because it's just, you know, your your role playing as you know the Uber Eats driver that is right. delivering food to various urbanites. But, but everything everything they said about that game when it came out that it was a cutscene 
that it was a 24-hour cutscene, that it was boring, that it was a walking simulator, was kind of fundamentally all true and all part of what made that game sublime. Like, yeah. like truly, truly something else. Um, mm-hmm. Because every other game that was a so-called walking simulator tried really hard not to be in a way that was was obtuse and sort of made it really not very fun at all. Yeah, like you but look Death at... Stranding, yeah, Death Stranding does the walking sim right. It, it yeah. had the courage to literally just fucking say when you walk in. Yeah, where when you walking and where you walking? <laughs> it's 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 it. I mean, and and where that, are you walking and how do you maintain these packages, big boy? Right, just just maintaining balance for hours and hours and hours, like while, over rocky, while, over rocky mountains, while low roar, low roar is playing on your little iPod. I I can't think of a more special thing. I mean, honestly, although. Well, that's replaying the magic. Shadow of the Colossus. Yeah, well, yeah. that's the magic of Kojima, baby. Kojima can make the most boring thing a fascinating experience that still, four years after it came out, still pisses people off, and they can't <laughs> take they can't accept that the game is like actually a masterpiece, and they will try to break it down uh, as if it like uncovering a secret. And it's like you're not proving anything you're just proving you're a retard that's that's the magic of of minimalism is that is that it's forward Mm -hmm. you know you can't you can't call it a walking simulator it is a walking simulator yeah it's a you know (laughs) you get to yeah it's my ups simulator i get to imagine i get to finally play what i've always thought to myself what are they what the hell they doing it made me want to take up a job as a piece of delivery guy yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I can't remember if there was a pizza delivery mission in Death Stranding. I feel like I'm remembering. There's a that. few, I think, actually. There's that, which in, is uh, hilarious. In the scenes, yeah, which, which is hilarious, and I love that. Uh, but there's yeah, actually then, a mechanic where if you tilt over, you fail the mission because the pizza lands. It's so stupid. <laughs> it's so stupid, but I love and it. So and it's like an oddly shaped package too, so you have to like really like layer your packages right. properly. Oh my yeah. god, that that stranding is built different. Literally, time limit too. Like it, it's it's like a real the um... pizza can't get gold. oh my god no i just imagine kojima with his lego blocks building out this is like what if i make pizza delivery game like (laughs) you do it buddy you have carte blanche sody gave you a blank check those are actually like um probably some of the most fun missions in that game they are that's the funny thing they are like (laughs) i've like screamed in rage about Dropping my fucking pizza on, the, my on pizzas. the uh geysers or whatever. Not my pizzas. It's it's such a simple thing, and yet well, because because uh... all you do in Death Stranding is like you're walking slowly down a hill and holding L2 and R2 the entire time. Because you're right. gonna lose balance the if you like let go just briefly. It's like whoopsie daisy, Norman Reedus just slipped over a pebble. <laughs> And then suddenly his baby is like crying at him. It's like now I gotta like make the baby shut up, and then gotta fucking go into first person and and rock the baby, which is very accurate to real life. I have to I have to say it's uh, it prepared me. Yeah, Death Stranding 
<laughs> we'll have to get to that at some point. Yeah. We will. When I get to the, the Kojima um... Marathon in Season 2, it's happening, everyone. Uh, <laughs> Death Stranding, how it prepared a bunch of uh, to-be fathers about the t- the perils of like taking care of an infant. It's uh, it's the only game with a a um, and possibly the only media period with a positive uh, father Homer Simpson image of fatherhood. <laughs> yeah, it, like, legitimately. Yeah, uh, which is yeah. Again, it's shocking that that creeped in into the culture. It, when it did in 2019 or 20 2018 2019 2019 I, I believe i remember yeah. it was 2019 because it was so on the nose for covid um, yeah it was like a, a few, scary way it was a few months before covid it's like kojima did you did you know something again like there was a kojima quote where he i think in an interview somebody asked him about it and he was like he was like you know what like we're actually going to like be doing less predicting yeah he literally said i remember that he got interviewed he's like he was uncomfortable about it yeah he was yeah he was like yeah for the next game i'm doing we're not going to predict future events i swear uh you know he was talking about how like when he made mgs2 it's like yeah seeing 9-11 happened uh made me think wow i was a little on the nose with it wasn't i um (laughs) because like mgs2 came was supposed to come out i think pre 9-11 and then mm-hmm. they had to delay it because they had to remove any twin tower imagery. Damn. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean it was crazy. And you know, he said it, it's like that poor man has like uh he has like the uh what's the term, Greek term, uh oracle ability where yeah. he's he speaks true to the culture uh in a way that no very few people have the gift of of seeing what is happening around us and being a game creator and one of the only few game creators that has like willing to put his person his the his person into his games it's like you know he's seeing what is happening and it's like well of course he's predicting the future it's like fuck he per- a part of MGS4 he predicted just recently it's a minor thing but it's like the smart guns it's like mm. he predicted that like over a decade ago, like, you know, and people are just like, did you not play when people were like posting this like video of this gun that was like a smart gun registered to somebody He's like everyone was quote tweeting pictures of liquid ocelot from MGS4. Uh, and it's just like, yeah, I mean, Kojima has this bizarre power that he's like clairvoyant uh, for everything in life. I hope that Death Stranding 2, otherwise known as DS2, uh, doesn't have an unsightly prediction for the future again. Who knows? That's that's. I don't think he can... He only imagines that he can stop. <laughs> He's going to do something completely innocuous in his own mind that will end up being enormous ramifications. Probably. We'll see. I mean... He can't help himself. Yeah, I mean... But that's the genius of him. That's the genius of Kojima. And no no amount of people saying he's a hack will ever change this. Um I I uh, I thoroughly despise anyone on the internet who tries to play the gacha game about Kojima. Like hack is is a good word. I yeah, think. they I think it, anytime I hear the word hack, I'm like, <laughs> like, oh, I better check this out. 
Yeah, Just like, like one of those one of those stupid like dirtbaggy words. Oh, it's one hundred percent like the common thing is that he they'll say he's a hack. He can't or he can't write. Those are like the main criticisms of Kojima is that he can't. That's insane write. because Death Stranding has the content galore like, level of a novel. I mean, it's like yeah, all the emails and, and also the time investment of an average playthrough is is like. The same as reading like an 800, 900 page novel. Yeah. Um, but I mean, to, to, to the direct critique that he can't write, it's like, well, he's trying to write a game for both Japan and America. So is he, he even to... the primary writer in his games? Yes, he is. Uh, wow. That's, that's, uh, that's impressive. He's been the primary writer for every game he's ever done. Uh, and people love to play the, well, actually, about him because, uh, there was this man, I forget his last name, but his la- or first name, but his last name is Fukushima. And he was attached to the first three Metal Gears. And he left with four. And so Kojima really became the sole writer for MGS4 onward. And people mm-hmm. like to say, well, MGS1 through 3 are the best ones because that other guy, Fukushima, actually was the main writer. And Kojima was, you know, his scripts were insane and unwieldy. It's like actually no, Kojima wrote all the main scripts for MGS one and one through three. This Fukushima guy, he was just doing the side stuff. He was making always trying to do this shit to art, not just like video games, but in general, where they're like, even if it were true, they're like, oh, he, you know, he's not like people do it to Lana Del Rey a lot. Yeah, like oh, Lana Del Rey, that's yeah, she can't dad's money, and it's like, well, like what does it fucking matter if the album is like the best album you've ever listen to in your life yeah like, the, they do the thing where she like those they point out that one saturday night live thing where she didn't have a good performance like oh she can't sing like it's like well everybody have, has that happened to them you know? yeah it's like everyone's human like at the end of the day but yeah kojima they even did this with oeda too a little bit with the last guardian like the last guardian didn't have like unanimous critical acclaim yes because uh, i remember a lot of people were like making fun of the last guardian which granted i have not played me neither but me neither. i feel like the game is fantastic it's i'm, part I'm of, planning on playing it soon after that, playing yeah it's part of my summer homework that i'm doing for season two hint hint uh to the audience <laughs> um yeah as i I feel like it's it hits the same beats as Ico and Shadow of the Colossus. But yeah, I mean, it seems like games really... People love to tear down, you know, they can't stand when, like, a brilliant mind comes through. And if if they always love to just try to tear them down for some inane reason that just screams of just, like, you know the Ellsworth Tui sort of my the one small voice type critiques where it's just like it boils down to like these like online think piece these like talking heads saying like well I could have done better I could have made a game that was better than this it's like no you can't right everybody has that that thought no you can't everybody you who hasn't sat down and done the hard work of creating something has this idea of like <laughs> I could probably I I would have had a better it's like somebody you know your your dad yelling at the fucking you know football game or something. Oh, you yeah. should have made that pass. It's it's just like that shit on a on a cultural level. Yeah, um, 
it, you know. it, it drives me up the wazoo hearing this with games you know granted i i i love kojima you know because he is the premier auteur of gaming like no i don't think i mean ueda is up there definitely but like kojima's name has earned the recognition it has not without like not by accident sort of thing like mm. there's a reason why he's getting hollywood talent to be his best friends like norman reedus and him are bros now like leia sedu loves him you know and he's got like l fanning now loving him uh and that one japanese girl i forget her name like he he's got like you know whatever whatever your opinion about him is like guillermo del toro loves him nicholas wending revan loves loves him like it's not by accident like you know uh heck even ueda has had people in mainstream talk about his games in a loving way like fuck i mean shadow of the colossus was like a central plot point of like a movie i forget the movie's name but it was like an Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> no, like, and like, no. Ad, yeah, the, um, man, I, I'm trying to remember the movie. It's, it was from like 2007. Is, was uh, it fucking click? No way. No, it wasn't. Was click. It, click, was it, it? It, it was not click. It was not click. I swear. That would, that swear. would rain, rain over, it was click. rain over me. It was a oh, okay. 2007 movie by Mike Bin Binder. It was like I do, do want to make a brief aside when we when we get to the Shadow of the Colossus section about the um, the sort of like happy accident of it being um, what it was in terms of sales. Oh like, yeah, totally. Yeah, I think it, it's I think it's interesting. Like like Shadow of the Colossus. I don't know. We'll we'll get to it. I wrote a note about it, so I remember to I remember to mention it. But it's something that's really been on my mind lately. Yeah, but I think I think we can wrap up this minimalism talk. I think games have the capacity to explore different sort of experience. I mean, that's like a common term. It's like experience, you know. But it's true. I mean, games can be stripped down to the most basic of mechanics or basic of themes or imagery and it still can produce something magical or truly moving experience and you know i think i think more game developers should be willing to take the risks i guess you know and to to summarize you know make your <laughs> make your uber eats simulator game like kojima did you know, be willing to take that risk. Um, I don't know if you have any closing thoughts on the minimalism talk. I, I kind of want to get into Shadow Colossus. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think, uh, you know, it's cliche to say, but less is more. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and it's only cliche because it has so much meaning that it can't be put into a single phrase, but less is more. Yeah, I, I think that's the best way to put it. So I think it's time to get into the big boy of tonight. And that game is uh, Shadow of the Colossus.
Shadow of the Colossus. Oh boy. Uh this is a big one, literally. Um yeah, Shadow of the Colossus was the second game from Team Ico. Uh it's a PS2 exclusive, albeit it has been ported to the PS3 and as well as been remade, which I wanna say the remake honestly should be the way you play this game. Uh yeah. It's it's yeah. the preferred way to play this game, which I know you know, remake some people get huffy and puffy about, but no, this is a remake that is it it lives up to the original in every way and and exceeds it. But I won't maybe for later I'll talk about it. But yeah, this was originally a PS2 exclusive. It came out in America on October 18th, 2005. And to say that this game's influence looms large over the industry is an understatement. I mean, the amount of games that have been inspired by this game is endless. I mean, as I said earlier, uh, games like Elden Ring have been inspired by it, but like God of War has been inspired by it. Uh, Breath of the Wild was. I mean so many different games have been inspired by this uh by shadow of the colossus and this is like a game that i remember is like it was the defining game of the twilight years of the ps2 uh it pushed the ps2 to the absolute breaking point in terms of complex uh systems being at work just and just the scale of it all was unlike anything that have been seen before in games. I mean, it's hard to just, un- it's just hard to re- like state how much Shadow of the Colossus was a true monumental game for the industry. I mean, the average score of this game I looked up for critically is an- it holds a 91, but you would see a lot of game reviewing publications giving it constant like nine and a half out of ten or 97s or hundreds or what have you i mean this was like immaculate as immaculate as you could get and yeah it's amazing i mean it's uh what's your experience with shadow of the colossus ev i think uh so at the time i it was um a very inexpensive game to buy yes uh, which which clues into a lot of its sort of cultural significance in a weird way um is that you could just find copies of this everywhere for twenty dollars back in um 2006 2005 um all perk of the greatest hits collection uh right where they would just they would slap that title on a game and then suddenly it's sold for twenty dollars and just a Fantastic. You know, if it didn't have that on there, if it was some obscure Japanese release, like I probably would have never played it. I mean, we we really have them. We have whoever marketed this game to thank. Yeah, I mean, this game, this game could have easily fell to the fate that Ico had where Ico didn't sell amazingly, but became like a critical in critical cult classic. Uh, basically where every developer was saying like, oh yeah, Ico inspired me. Like uh, Shadow of the Colossus was like a genuine 
commercial success and yeah it's weird to think that like so many people bought this game like it is odd it because it stands in contrast to what you know games were doing i mean this was metal gear solid 3 devil may cry 3 you know splinter cells were going strong uh you know all, all the sort of games at the time were very you know they weren't this per se they weren't somber melancholic pieces that yeah i mean <laughs> it's really hard to just like this game leaves me speechless sometimes it's just um i remember i was with a friend and we both had we were into like final fantasy and um those kind of things and i was looking for an rpg and at that time i don't think people there's a lot of like sort of contemporary things that a lot of people um, that factor into shadow of the colossus that people don't really um zoomers aren't going to know um rpgs were tended to be more expensive like final fantasy games tended to be more expensive i feel like other than like 10 mm-hmm. um, for the ps2 10 you could get for cheap yes but um I was like just looking for a good RPG. And I like I was like, does this just asking my friend, I'm like, is this a good game? He's like, Oh yeah, it rocks. Nothing, <laughs> nothing else about it. And I was just like, but does it have like towns you like trade in it? And he was just <laughs> like, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, which is a total lie. But um Absolute like, fact. Is it just like uh, you know, you level up to that kind of thing? It's like, yeah, it's good, it's great. And I bought it and None of those things were in it, but, um, (laughs) you know, it was just such a captivating experience and the graphics of course were just unreal at that time, um, for a game of that year in that console, it just totally blows you away. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, Um, it literally destroyed the PS2. (laughs) Yeah. It it, it made your PS2 able to cook an egg and it makes your PS4 able to cook an egg too. Still. Yeah. Um, it's still an intense game i I think they should just keep remastering it to push the system limitations every time i'd be for it better if it's like Um, the first remake i'm okay with it first remake's incredible yeah it's yeah what it should have been yeah literally Um, but um i an interesting thing about this game that i i think and this is a quality of media that no longer exists because everything is digital now you you buy it from a digital marketplace on sale uh if you don't like it you can get a refund uh or you know everything is very convenient now but when you were a kid and you had maybe an allowance or you wash cars or something you wanted a game that you didn't have to spend that was good that you didn't have to spend 60 50 dollars on and everybody was shadow of the colossus like you said consistent eights and nines from reviews everybody seemed to like it you would play it put twenty dollars in it and um cds had this quality too where if you bought a cd in 2004 and you didn't like it you had already spent fifteen dollars on it and you Mm -hmm. didn't drive because you're you know 13 so you couldn't just go back and return it Mm -hmm. um so what you would do is you would just learn to love it Mm -hmm. um because you spent $15 on it and, and that's, that's the end of it. You're not going to hate it. Like it's like the opposite of sour grapes. And I think shadow of the Colossus had that effect for people 
um, where lots and lots of people bought it with that that greatest hits label for fifteen twenty dollars. Yes, you know, and probably didn't understand it at first, but forced themselves to understand it because they were twelve to fourteen years old, didn't have a car, couldn't just go return it like you can now. You can just log on and fucking return anything. Yeah, um, and just just learn to love it and appreciate it for what it was. Um, and I think that's actually part of why um, Last Guardian didn't do so well, is because the environment is different now. You can just people were just oh, this is a puzzle game. You yeah, know, with that's slow. Like okay, fucking you yeah, know, thirty minute Steam return or whatever. It's not on Steam, but you know. Yeah, I I also do blame the presence of the internet talking head like being like immediately dissuading anyone from making a purchase that's not like outside of the convention conventional sense of a game so it's right. like oh you have this game where you play as a little boy with his pet griffin monster and you have to learn how to control the griffin monster and you can hear the critic like in your head already like, yeah you're just, you're just playing this you're playing as a little boy. You're playing <laughs> as a little boy, and there's this dog. There's why am this, I not? You know, why am I not playing as a frizzy hair mulatta giving me some quippy one-liners? Uh, or, or better yet, why am I not playing uh, "Kick My High School Bullies Ass" simulator three hundred seventy-five? Yeah, <laughs> um, like which is what like I don't know. Like I love GTA, but like that's why it's popular. Um, you know, yeah, don't, totally. I mean. It's a, it, I'm glad you brought up the whole you had to learn to love it because that's an interesting like sub faction of Shadow of the Colossus's like unique fan base is that people spent time learning how like because a, a magical quality about Shadow of the Colossus because it is like set in an open world but it doesn't it's not an open world in the sense of GTA where there's things to do it's like in Shadow of Colossus, the open world is just there to sort of give enough environmental storytelling and find and fight Colossi. Like, that's it. And right. because of all this and, like, the the need to, like, learn more and the, the fascinating, you know, aspects of it, the fantasy, the sort of mysticism that's sort of imbued within the, the code of this game, you have, like, people still trying... To, or people were trying to find secrets about this game. Like, was there more to this game that we didn't know about? Like, there's e there's even a YouTube channel dedicated to finding like every seventeenth colossi. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, the seventeenth colossi, which isn't it's not real, even though they said yeah. that they wanted at like at most forty eight colossi in the game. Like, oh, <laughs> PS two was literally going to set on fire if you did that. <laughs> yeah. And it wouldn't have um, been the same game, I think. No, six, that many. 16 is a perfect number, which, you know, that was something that, that, that goes very much in line with Fumito Ueda's subtraction design of cutting what only feels good in the moment or what feels good, what feels good to play, what's interesting to play. But you have this whole culture of people who are like, trying to just figure out what is in this game like there's very few games that i can think of that have like such a reaction out of people where it's like i have to figure out what is inside here like is there more at stake or is there more at play 
uh, about this game that I'm not seeing or I haven't discovered it, it, but there isn't like that. That's kind of like the greatness of like shadow of the Colossus. It is what it is. You kill Colossi. That's it. And it's all in service of this, like very small, very tender, very lonely story that I, I can't help but get like, just I even playing remake recently. I'm just like getting like emotional at like so many just small scenes. Like there's like the one, I think it's after you beat the eighth Colossi and you get the, like the dream that Wander has where he like sees, uh, uh, Mono waking up and it's just the dream. He like touches her cheek gently as she's still in her coma. Like, somber little moments like that just like fuel this quest to save her it's such a tender and very bittersweet story that you know playing like no matter what like playing i know how it's gonna end but i'm just like i i still want it to like end the way i want it to i I want wander and mono to be together but Mm. the game that's that's the point, though, is that they can't be together. Like and the game ends very, very shockingly and dramatically in oh, a way that you don't want it to end. <laughs> it, it is one of the most heart wrenching moments in a game I've ever experienced. Like, and be- just bewildering, just confusing. Like very, very Twin Peaks to Return kind of, um, just taking you so far out of the game and into a different place than you expected. Yeah, yeah um, no. I, I really, like, just the fact that you come so far in this game. No, granted, the game isn't long, per se. Like, probably is like an eight-hour game, ten-hour game around that ballpark. But it's just like, it feels such like a... Epic quest and an epic journey, you know, to save Mono, but you get ripped away from that in the most brutal way past possible. Like where you are, the uh, the the fact that the game makes you or allows you, giving you the sense that maybe just maybe that I could actually change what it wants to happen, but it says no no matter how long you hang on in that room as you're getting sucked away, like you cannot hang on. Like you try as you might, you are doomed to be locked away with this evil spirit that was meant to be kept away. Like the fact, you know, I remember when I first played it, it's like I kept, I fought for like 10 minutes to stay alive in that, in that final bit. And I was like, when is the game going to finally give up? And it's like, it's not. You're not supposed to get the ending you want. And it's so tragic. Like, I man, it's just, it, it hits so hard. And like, this is this is a game, too, that, like, not everybody would have had a guide. Not everybody would have had, like, an explanation for what they were supposed to do. And I'm sure that, like, thousands of people probably did that same thing, just just tried to find like different walls to strafe different, like while they were getting sucked back into the, into the pool. 
um, at the end um, just to see if they could find a different ending. And the game is brilliant for giving you that illusion that oh yeah any other option because it 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 plays into your idea of as a gamer it's like no like no matter the obstacle i'm always gonna make it out through the end sort of thing like the this is the this is the quote on even though we did the 16th colossus fight no this is the final boss like literally just fighting against you know the world wanting basically the world wanting me gone it's like no i i will you know me as a gamer i will prevail and save mono but like it's all in service of doing something that arguably the game foreshadowed from the get-go like it 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 very it reminds me of persona 3 although persona 3 came out a year after this where persona 3 foreshadowed that you're gonna die right like literally in the intro movie of that game it's like hey they just flashes on screen memento mori remember you will you know you will die like and you forget about that in this game you you forget like oh the curse that Dorman has been put on like you know he's saying like you know what you are trying to do wander you know will have a consequence like but you forget about that like you all you can think about is saving Mono. Like, it's like all the sort of superfluous, like, how do we make the story more grand sort of thing that other developers would do. Shadow of the Colossus doesn't have. Like, it's just the pure backbone of a game premise. And that is all it needs. You know, something about just that, like, intro cutscene. Of, of him like arduously carrying her body across a bridge and down the steps in this slow, like Tarkovskian kind of manner that like there, there are no words necessary. Like I remember seeing that when I, I don't remember how old I was when I first, I think I must've been 12 or 13. Um, but just seeing that long cutscene at the beginning where they bring her all the way down the stairs, all the way across the giant, like surrealist Tichirico bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was all that ne- no words needed to be said. It just filled you with the importance that this woman had enormous importance for the player character. Mm-hmm. Um, and you felt like, I remember at the time I had like just started dating and I was like, <laughs> like it, it really, really like, like just hit me like hard for some reason. I was just like, I was like, I was like oh man, like romance. It's, like, it's yeah, it speaks to a very just instinctual thing. All men have, I think, you know, whether it be, you know, and I think I, what I love about the, the dynamic of wander and mono is that it's never like explicitly stated if she is like your lover or your wife, like she even could be like your sister even, or Mm -hmm. heck she could be like even your mother. Maybe, I don't know, probably not. But what is evident though, is that Wander genuinely, like she's the only figure that matters in his life. And the fact that she is in this cursed by this spell that has more or less killed her. And all that matters is to sort of do whatever it takes to survive. It speaks to, I think, a very instinctual male quality in all of us. And I think that's why a lot of people can resonate with it, even though if it doesn't 
explicitly said like you know that intro where it's just this long drawn out thing where it doesn't need to self-aggrandize itself like the you know it you get you get the point across clearly through the imagery and the location that you're going into in these in the forbidden lands and uh yeah i mean i guess to also just say for the listener i mean the the story of shadow of the Colossus is very simple you play as wanderer you know this like teenager young adult male who brings his you know this woman mono to a this castle and tries to resurrect her and he works with this entity called Dorman and you have to kill the 16 colossi that's the basic getup like kill the 16 colossi and you and mono will be revived that's it like and then from there on the game kind of takes a step back. It doesn't have these like long cutscenes. I mean, the really the only sort of story that you get is like Dorman just explaining to you where the next Colossi is. Uh, and that's all you need to propel you forward in this empty, melancholic landscape that is devoid of life. There's no enemies except for like little animals that you will encounter that run away when you get near them and it's all just these beautiful locations that are so real i mean i adore the look of this game this like washed out bloom lit environment that is just just ambient sound 90 percent of the time it's just the wind, you know, bleep brushing or breezing by, or it's just like trees, you know, blowing in the wind, or just like the quiet serenity of it all. Like it, it, it it's very, it's very like Death Stranding. I think you, we were talking about this a while ago when I pitched this idea to you. It's like one of the most melancholy games you can ever play. It's one of the most lonely games you can ever play. I, I felt like genuinely a little bit depressed after playing it today. I was uh, <laughs> I was just like I was I like finished this game and I like went up to my wife. And I was just like you know we don't really spend a lot of time together anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like damn this is uh this just like uh, something about it just really taps into that loneliness. I think it's just the fact that you don't speak to another character at all Ever. and also the like quasi sort of like prison atmosphere of, of some of the map areas where you're like there's all these bars there's all these giant columns and stone that you feel like like imprisoned by a little bit even though they're beautiful mm-hmm. um they're all just decaying and, and ratty and and you know molded over and and mossed over and mm-hmm. you just you feel like they your character is destined for something greater yeah it it feels like wander and by extension you the player are just kind of like trapped in this even like almost like banished to this world even though you haven't necessarily at the beginning done anything wrong even though like you later get punished for this action by a, a group of uh uh people from the shrine uh that i want to say wander was a part of 
Uh, it seems very clear that Wander was a yeah. part of this group at some point. But it feels like by, you know, doing this action, this very gamey action of saving the woman, per se, you've been, like, trapped in this place that is only populated by these giant monsters, these, like, giant kaijus that even... Another thing about about these, you know, the Colossi is kind of, like, makes it even more like depressing in a sense is the fact that they really they don't engage you until you instigate them like yeah they're lot... very placid you know yeah like they... natural features or something yeah they feel like animals of the environment and they, i mean they look very animalish you know a lot of them look just straight up like animals there's one that looks like a bird there's one that looks kind of like a bull there's one that you know some of them even look very humanoid in appearance. Like they feel like living creatures of this world that are existing as they are. And then you, the gamer are instigating them into a fight. And that's where, you know, I think the truly magical, unique thing about the the, uh, shadow of the Colossus is that those Colossi fight are so, they punctuate these moments of just bitter, bitter quietness. Like these just poignant, quiet moments, like finding these colossi. And just suddenly the game becomes the most grandest of grand encounters you've ever experienced, where the music just becomes this rom- like romantic, you know, fully orchestrated, you know, uh, symphony. Just, uh, that has like a tinge of just like sadness imbued to it. Cause you're literally like unle- you know, you're helping Dorman get free, but you're also killing any life that is still present here. Like you, you there's like so many of these Colossi fight themes that are just like, I, I feel genuinely like sad, like hearing them, even though it's supposed to be eliciting this, like, Oh yeah, like I'm beating the big fat monster sort of thing. Um, and you're given that you're given that hint that immediately that that what you're doing is maybe wrong. By you know you you finish off the first Colossus and um, it just plays this for and this happens for each one. The saddest music you hear in the entire game happens after you beat each Colossus. It's like doomful, like choir music plays it's so sad and then you see you know the colossus just like collapse to the ground and you just see the black just spiral like entity escape them and come for you and attack attack you in a way and it's it's a very pagan game it's a very pre-christian game in a sense like it's it's all about like just the the damned nature of man you know without without any kind of salvation like without anything to look forward to other than like i have these bitter gods that that i can serve to to you know to meet certain ends but like they don't really care about me <laughs> like mm-hmm. like everything is just like a bad deal made with a higher power um and and every you know your destiny as a human being is just like shadow and regret 
and mm-hmm. and just tragedy. Like there is no heaven, there's no hell, there's just punish, you know, like punishment. There's just punishment for you being a, a human being, which is lower than a god. Um, that's like the old pagan kind of mindset, like the Greek um or Nordic or whatever, like you know, old mindset is just like the just sadness. And Japan actually is interesting in this way because it's kind of the last living culture with this mindset still alive Mm -hmm. um you know they have buddhism which is is um sort of a temperance to this but they they also have a living pagan tradition and i think it feeds into this game oh oh, totally strong way i i i I will say this here that i'm not the the foremost you know, scholar when it comes to Japanese mythology and all that stuff. But what I do know is that I forget, is it Shinto or she like the, the concept of like that basically that the nature, like nature and humanity are in a constant balancing act. And when humanity strays too far into sort of the evil sort of say that, like humanity will be rightfully punished so right and, and it's and it's totally divorced from ethics it's just like it's just like a scale yeah know? it's it's like matter it's not it has nothing to do with with so-called spirituality in the modern sense it's just like don't do this or you're gonna get hurt yeah and um, and this belief kind of ties into sort of the japan way of life of just sort of harmony and you know the you know uh preserving history and being you know uh being one with nature which you know you see a lot of in classical japan works of art and ways of living and you see like you know when they thrive and prosper but when you see japan suffer untold like despair and all that stuff like shadow of the colossus definitely evokes that sort of uh, Japanese uh, thought process where you know Wanderer even though on the premise on the surface we as as gamers see him doing a selfless good act he in reality is on un- is unleashing the one being <coughs> that has been labeled as like an evil entity per se he's a bit like um he's a bit like Cooper yeah in in twin peaks he's he's trying his absolute best to save the girl and Mm -hmm. in that you know ostensibly morally good search he sacrifices his humanity to a kind of black magic um thing Mm -hmm. and and it ends up you know it doesn't matter how morally good his intention is because he goes about it in a cursed way yeah and and just doom Um, and you and you see this reflected on wanderer's character model itself with every colossus he kills his clothing gets more tattered his skin gets more pale he even grows like little horns on his head like he's literally kind of being like labeled a devil child through his actions in a way and that's really subtle, by the way. I th- I don't know if that's like oh, it's if that's you, something that well, like I didn't even notice that my first playthrough. It, yeah, you really don't notice it until the very end when they really show you how much Wander has changed. Where by the end he has the horns, his clothes are ripped off, his scale, his skin is like palish blue, 
he has his the colossus eyes. Yeah. yeah, he's yeah he's got the colossus eyes, and you know you really don't notice that as you're playing, mostly because the camera is kind of far away from Wander the entire time. But the fact that like you see, you see, you just see like the consequences of your actions being being presented to you in subtle ways, like whenever you kill Colossi and you return to the temple. You just see a new shadowy figure looming over your unconscious body, just like what? Like it's like the Colossi spirit are just like judging you. It's like look what you've done to us. You know we're just now reduced to this sort of like uh, ethereal entity that cannot do much, and we are judging you while you are conscious, and then. Another small subtle detail, I don't know if you noticed this, but with every Colossi kill, a new dove appears on the temp on the thing where Mono sits. Oh wow. Yeah, like a new dove. It's re- you never notice it, but every time you kill one, a new dove appears. So by the end, you have like 16 doves. That's so insane. I I, I never noticed that. Yeah, it, I didn't notice it until like years later until it was pointed out to me. I was like that that's brilliant, and and another wonderful visual detail, probably the one you will notice the most, are the light beams that mm-hmm. pierce into the sky with every new colossus killed. And it's really it's so subtle in its way of conveying its its themes and ideas to yourself that that's why you know you and me don't notice these like little things that just add their. You know, whether if they were intentional, like, I don't know if the doves were put there in there by a programmer and they weren't taken out or if it was a, de- a deliberate de- a decision to be included. However, these little things add up to create this wholly unique experience that really, I mean, I, I feel like I'm a broken record in this sense, but it's just like this game is as this game lives up to every bit of hype you've heard about it online or in person it it's just it is that bitch in terms of gaming like there's a reason why everyone has a story with this game and it will never age this this is a game that cannot age Mm -mm. like it because there will never be another shadow of the colossus um its mechanic is completely unique. Uh, its aesthetic is completely unique, even among the Team Ico games. Yes. Um, there, it just it can't age because, in order to make another one, you would just make, you would just remake Shadow of the Colossus. There's no way to remake this game, and improve on it other than how they did, which is graphically and performance wise. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, this is. There used to be a common thing with games when games in the latter half of a console's life cycle, they would push the system to their breaking points. Like you can think of like Silent Hill is a, a fairly good example where it got the most out of its out of the PlayStation One or uh like I'm trying to think of another one. Like Final Fantasy Nine also pushed the boundaries of the PS1. Uh, in terms Chrono of what, Cross. yeah, Chrono Cross is another example. 
like the, the concept of the latter gen games pushing and nearly breaking their systems it was a very common thing until recently and shadow of the colossus i feel like is the pure like the 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 uh crown jewel of that notion because uh if you were to play this game on a ps2 today be welcome to a slideshow at some times like this game this game is a this is why i said earlier in the episode play the remake like or play the ps3 version the ps3 remaster like that way you can really appreciate all this the finer details but really just play the remake because the remake captures the visual language perfectly it does not change a single thing i think really the only thing it, it included was a new control scheme for modern players and even then the modern control scheme is not like most games not at all like no it's, it's pretty unique like I mean, the whole game is so unique there's no way they can get away from it no and by the way here's the thing about the remake that's really well done um they they keep the classic control scheme so if you're a purist you can still play it as it was originally intended um but yeah uh, the the remake i will say like it is the optimal way to play this game because hot damn playing shadow of the colossus in 60 frames per second Ooh, that is like that is that this was a game where i know like there's a lot of modern games where it's like i really can't tell the graphics are better sort of case but shadow of the colossus is remake i noticed the graphics like because they are stunning in motion and they more or less kind of showcase why the original was so breathtaking back in the day down from its pure aesthetics to even just the landscapes you know the giant castle the giant bridgeway like the remake is more or less just like a big like uh it kind of in the way the re4 remake was was just like showing hey this is the reason why this game was that good back in the day like we didn't even have to touch the anything up we just like made it pretty prettier that's all they did really and yeah i mean this is a a formal uh to the third place listeners just play the ps4 version you'll you'll there's there's no need to like go and and find a a fucking ps2 and do the yeah it'll cost you do that it'll it remakes like 20 dollars. like just you know i know all of you have a ps4 I know for a fact that most of you have a PS4 or a PS5. Because it's, a, yeah, it's like a like, Blu-ray player. Everybody has one for, yeah. for fucking, or for like playing Hulu on or whatever, it seems like. Yeah, it's, it's what, just, hey, you know. for your Hulu box, that hey, you finally found a game that you can play on your Hulu box. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, the, shout out, I mean, shout out Colossus, even back in its original state, I mean, there's so many techniques that Team Ico were like pioneering at the time. Like they did this with uh, Ico, but like the inverse kinematics, where it's just like it's such a small thing, but the fact that your character's legs when they go up a stair looks realistic, like they bend and react to different surfaces. Like, hey, if my character is kind of like halfway up a stair, he'll put one leg up 
up on the stair and one leg will be down. Like it's little things like that, you know, stuff that was very intensive back in the day to do inverse kinematics. Like that's another little visual detail that you wouldn't notice or understand if I didn't tell you, but like stuff like that adds to the experience or the way that the colossi behave or if like the colossi have you in your gaze, they'll actually track you with their head. Like the, it's like the, these enemies are now actually properly recognizing me as a threat and they will keep an eye on me or, and you know, the fact that Colossi, like the way they interact with the world sells their literal colossal size. You know, the fact when they step the ground, like breaks a little bit or when they swing their weapons, like it leaves just giant craters where they like, there's so many just fine little details that, on the surface, you'd be like, well, of course, like that makes sense. Right. But it's so expertly done and never draws. It's never draws its attention like to you, but it's and like, nothing all, in it, this game feels like a gimmick in any mm-mm. way. Nothing in this game feels like, I, I don't even know how you would make a gimmick because it's, it's so singular in its vision, but nothing no. here feels, feels like, um, you know, it could be even turned into a genre of game. Like it's no, it's, it's I, perfect as it is. Um, I I feel like I swear other games try to do the whole you're fighting a giant monster like, and that was the central mechanic. But they never live to the experience that Shadow provides. Like. I, I mean, I've seen the concept of fighting these gargantuan monsters applied in different things. Like God of War 3 was co- clearly inspired by this game where you're fighting mountain-sized monsters. And, you know, it really, you know, it, it, it elevates God of War 3, but for a different reason. But, like, I can't see other games, like, relying on parts of the shadow experience to sort of drive the whole thing it's it it stands in contrast to ico i mean i think that was their original goal was to make something different from ico where ico is a very salt a very small scale game where it's only you know two kids running around a castle doing sort of simple puzzles and platforming and maybe some combat here and there. And I say combat and like being generous sort of thing. But, you know, Shadow stands in stark contrast to that where it's like combat is a central focus, but the combat is not your normal combat where it's about, in a way, it's like a, it's like platforming in a way where it's about finding your optimal route up these, you know, skyscraper-sized beings and finding the weak spot that's it really i mean the the difficulty in colossus shadow of the colossus is finding the optimal route finding it's, it's mental difficulty yeah yeah it's you... not like if you have a guide for shadow of the colossus you're gonna finish it in like five hours oh easily um, like... but if you don't have a guide it's it could take you a week <laughs> yeah and... I mean, it could take a long time yeah it shadow the colossus has a system where if you're struggling it will give you like a vague hint 
about what to do, but even those vague hints do not help you sometimes. It's like uh like one of them I think it's time we bring up our least favorite colossi, the turtle. Oh yeah, we I think the hint is like actually so obvious in that one, but it's such an annoying thing to do that you want to believe that they're saying something else. Like so in this in this colossi battle there's there's a geyser and you have basically this is actually, I think, one of the hardest battles in the game. There's actually a hump in the middle of the game mm-hmm. where the Colossi are way harder than they mm-hmm. are in the rest of the game. That's It's an interesting kind of thing that happens there. I think it happens in a ton of games. Um, but um, you have this thing that basically instant kills you from a distance with mm-hmm. projectiles, and you have to lead it facing forward That is so that it can shoot you with projectiles. Um, at any distance mm-hmm. and lead it lead it facing forward on top of one of three geysers in this huge map and this mm-hmm. thing is so slow <laughs> it's so slow it's probably one of the slowest colossi it's literally a turtle it's designed like a turtle with a big shell yes. um, and so you get it on top of a geyser which takes a lot of finagling because you have to snake to avoid the projectiles which causes it to go away from the geyser because it follows you in a line. Mm-hmm. Um, you get it on the geyser. You shoot arrows at two of its feet, specifically the feet on the one side. If you shoot any of the other feet, it doesn't work. It has to be the one side. And then once you're on top of it, it's kind of the same deal as a lot of the others. But to figure out that initial bit is like... Um, I mean, that was one of the, they were, the PlayStation 2 had a lot of games with punishing puzzles. Yes. That, that, very true. that had to be one of the top few there, that particular guy. Um, yeah. It, yeah. Cause it stands in contrast because a lot of the Colossi fights prior to that were very straightforward. It's like, yeah. I think of the, the third one where it's just like, oh, make him swing at you and get out of the way in time to avoid the hit and it's just ride his sword up to the top and then doing like a few jumps that's it or you know like the the bird in the lake it's just like well you just got to shoot it to get its attention and then position yeah just position yourself uh on a platform where it'll fly over you where its fur is a it will fly over you and you can grab it like or there's the fourth one where you have to do the tunnels underground. That one did piss me off back in the PS2 days. I think it was <laughs> harder. I think it must have been harder in the PS2 than it is with the PS4. Poss- possibly. I, I think something was janky about it. Because I remember taking a very, very long time for it to like get its head down in front of the door. I blame the um, frame rate because... frame rate decreases latency and overall game speed so like the remake kind of spoils us in the sense because it's like 60 frames per second and it's like instant and the and the latency is so low so anything that would be like tedious quote-unquote is like almost now non-tedious as a result um yeah, uh, most the Colossi prior to the Turtle one are very straightforward so puzzles that you can easily get through. And there is that period in which the middle part where they're, they definitely ramp up the difficulty and 
sometimes can be a miss, a miss, I say in quotes again, but also sometimes that difficulty creates some really amazing fights. I think of the one in the sand where you have to run away from it and have to shoot its eye. Oh, that's brilliant. It's so thrilling too. Like uh, it's well the fact that the camera uh actually turns around slowly and you just see this giant monster just riding in the sand with those glow those big honking eyes peering out from the sand. And it's just like you are just sprinting on aggro, trying your damnedest to just escape, you know, trying to line it up a sh perfect arrow shot to so it, it can crash into a wall i mean that that's like one of my highlight colossi fights that one's uh, a blast that's that's a harder one but it's a blast yeah that that's where the sort of uh big braining uh actually is really exciting and interesting i even like the one in the lake where you have to force it you have to swim around on it to get to its head, and then you have to use the teeth on its head to steer it to a higher platform so that you can get on it on there so that it can expose its belly where the weak spot is. Like I I, I think that's another great like puzzle get uh puzzle gaming moment where it's just like you have to think hard about how this Colossus is behaving. You have to sort of pay attention to the little things strewn about it. Like, I like how the Colossi in various different ways have like very tactile parts of them that are like part of the gameplay. Like again, like the fourth one or no, the third one where, you ha where it has those like platforms on its back, which are its ribs, I think, jutting out or even the the small bowl one i think it's the 11th one in the like temple room um mm. i think of that one where you have to like lure it so it knocks a stick from a fireplace and then you have to grab that stick or that torch and then light that torch on fire so that it scares that colossi into backing up so that it would fall off the off the um off this cliff and that way it exposes its body like it feels very almost like uh you know how like a in nineties like the PC games had like very obtuse and really just kind of brain buster puzzles to like like Monkey Island would have like oh you have to combine this with that in order to solve this puzzle <laughs> yeah yeah like that's what Shadow of the Colossus yeah. reminds me of a little bit with like how you have to solve some of these Colossi fights um just trial and error for a lot of them if you didn't have a guide yeah like or i think of the i think it's the 13th or 14th one it's the second iteration of the bowl where you have to make it crash into the pillars to knock over the pillars like that one is had my palms sweating yeah that i would like the controller was flying out of my hands it was like <laughs> the, the smaller ones i think it's interesting kind of a mechanic where the smaller ones are really the ones in this game that make you shit your pants. Yeah, because um, they, they stand in contrast to what you understand a Colossus is, because they you know the Colossi are literally colossal, like they're colossal in nature. They are skyscrapers that attack you. But then you have this little one that's you know, these little ones are arguably more yeah, they're fast yeah. and they're way more aggressive. 
at you. Like they'll constant. And then here's the thing too, uh, you know, Team Ico games have this sort of semi-realism where, like in Shadow of the Colossus, if you get hit by like one of these smaller colossi, you get like stuck on the ground. You're like, <laughs> you get like knocked out briefly, yeah. and you have to like wait a few seconds before you can get up. Like these smaller colossi are like brutal in that sense for just like, Oh yeah. You weren't planning this out. Well, you get fucked up Bucky bucko. Like, yeah, I think, I feel like they must've fixed this, but I remember in um, the PS2 one, I think the first small one, if you get stun locked, you can get stun locked by it. I remember Um, that too vaguely, but in the new one that doesn't happen. It actually is civil and it waits for you to get up, <laughs> which is like very nice of them because that was infuriating. In yeah. The second one. And it kind of <laughs> happens with the Cerberus one that the yes. other small one will, will just straight up stun lock you if you don't, um, <laughs> you know, uh, classic yeah. PlayStation stun lock, you know, yeah. infuriating mechanics, but yeah, it's, it's old games. That's you. If you didn't grind your teeth on the old school games, you know, you're not a real gamer. Quote yeah, if, you're, if you're a zoomer, this game will make you mad. Make you, um, it'll make you angry. Yeah. If it doesn't make you angry and you can see through to the end, young zoomers, uh, you'll actually uh, become a better person in the end. Or you'll be very confused and, and very, <laughs> very depressed. Uh, I think it is, it is worth... Um, just as a tangent on this um the complete insanity of the ending um, oh yeah like the fact that um i mean the irony and and hilarity of them turning you into a colossus at the end yes and yes. and then and even giving you a health bar for no reason other than to just psychologically punish you yeah um, it i mean it's crazy, but it ultimately gets the point across. You know, you're fully possessed by Dorman. You are, I mean, in the eyes of the the that the clan that tries to stop you, like you are the final colossi. You you were the seventeenth colossi all along. Um, and they look at you. They look at you. The dialogue is so good because they talk about you as just like. Like a totally lost cause. Yeah, you're like the arbiter of like evil, more or less. They're just like we told you not to go to this cursed land, and you did it anyway. And oh. now look what happened to you. Like that. And meanwhile, as the player character, you're just a gamer, and <laughs> you're you're just completing the objectives. Yeah, um, and you're just MK Ultra into this scenario <laughs> where you you have to commit atrocities, and you don't know why. Listen, um, as a gamer, I am going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's um a, a bit of, a bit of irony in that whole scene too is that when you're conf- you know when you're basically like on your hands and knees like struggling, literally, you know, Wander is still trying to get to Mono, even when they're literally about to you know kill you. Like you're on, you're at, you're like arguably your weakest as you're like basically look like a miniature colossi. And the fact that like these guys, they stab you in your sigil on your tunic, a la how you kill the colossi feels mm. so, it's such like a, like just a, I, it's a bit of like tragic irony. It's like 
you've been undone by the by the action that you've done countless of times for the past few hours and i i always love that little moment it, it's so like you you have to notice what happens for it to like really just like hit you're just like yeah you are the colossi now and these people are trying to stop you and in a way kind of how we as players initially view the colossi too is these threats to our ultimate goal you know the the I forget if they're like the say I forget the proper name for this group. Uh, what are the the Shrine of uh, the M Emon's company? Emon, the the leader of that group. Mm-hmm. Um, I like how, in a sense, because you've more or less transformed to Colossi, like they kind of do the action of what you are doing as a player, as a gamer. You know, you're you're just completing the objective, but. Yeah, that whole sequence more or less just kind of recontextualizing the game and just flipping the script on you as you're just like it basically in a time a race against time until you get your comeuppance for the actions you do. It's a great prefiguration of um. You can see how near took inspiration from this game. Oh, of the the infamous scene in Automata where you figure out all the robots are people and. You're actually, you're actually a you know a inhuman fucking cyborg killing human beings that are trapped in these gnostic sort of body prison things. Yeah, um, it, it the Shadow of the Colossus DNA runs in the near franchise. Like, and, and another thing, I, this is a thing about Shadow of the Colossus that I think a lot of games. It's like one of the main central themes that games love to sort of tackle. And I think it's something that games can do very well and easily is the concept of like violence has consequences. Like your action, your violent actions have consequences. And post Shadow of the Colossus, we see this in a lot of games. Like we see like uh, Spec Ops the Line has this sort of theme present in the game where it's like, commenting on itself as a video game commenting on the sort of instinctual nature of what we want to do as give video game players kill the monsters save the girl sort of thing like spec hops the line comments on it even metal gear comments on it frequently too at times not like not solely as the main theme per se in one game but it's a theme present there i mean we even see it up to today with games like the last was part two where they're sort of commenting on the sort of concept of a game and i think as much as i like games like the last was part two i still think shadow of the colossus does it better because it never it never shows its hand in this regard. It's something you have to learn yourself. It, and, it, and if you haven't figured it out during the course of killing 16 Colossi, I think Emon's wor- final words to you really bring home this central theme of... Uh, I I hate my brain. I just remembered the famous Gmod video of half, uh, Half-Life Full-Life Consequences. I fucking hate myself for thinking about that. But the point being is like 
you know, committing a violent act will have a consequence no matter what, no, you know, like you were saying earlier, no matter how good intention we believe it is, no matter what we believe as a gamer is a good intention, there will be a, a consequence for the action. It's like a yin and yang at, you know, balance at play. And I really like how Shadow Colossus just gradually lets you figure this out. And the punishment you get as you're sent into that pool of light with Dorman, like, I don't know, it really feels fitting for killing 16 Colossi. Like that, that feels almost like the right punishment for Wander in the in the logic of the world. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I th I think it's just such a great um, example of of again that like pre-Christian kind of thinking where there's there is no winning for a human being. Like you're either going to make a bad deal with the powers that be, or you're just going to die miserably like a mortal mm -hmm. um and you're sort of that's that's why it's so much more tasteful than other games that try to like do this moralistic thing where like like oh you had to kill people but it's bad because we made you kill people but it's bad anyway uh even though this is why you bought the game it's like <laughs> the game like if you have that kind of mindset about it, it doesn't have that moralism about it. It's just like this is a logical outcome. Um, you mixed, you mixed bleach and ammonia, and now you will die. Basically, mm -hmm. it's like chemistry. It's like you killed sixteen colossi, and now you're fucked, and that's it. <laughs> you um, get reborn as a baby. You get reborn as a baby. You become a demon because, or I, I, I really love that because. Um, it was sort of like saying, you know what, like we have to revert you all the way back to day one because you have such an accumulation of sins. Yeah. That, you know. and, and but what's brilliant about that, you know, the fact that you are they the world itself put the res press the reset button on you because you were such an irredeemable presence that it resets you to being a baby. But the fact that the babe, you as a baby, still have the horns, like right, you're you are, still cursed. Yeah, you're you and in a sense, uh, Mono have been cursed too. Uh, With the you fucking know. crippled horse, which is like actually the saddest thing in the entire game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, okay. Correct me if I'm wrong. Agro, Agro at the end, does he get a different color fur, or is he still black fur? I, I think thought... he's I think he's black all the way through, but I could be wrong. That would be kind of fascinating okay. if he was. I, okay, it's funny. I have my playthrough, uh, because I always like to have a playthrough on my second monitor, just you know, visual reference. Mm -hmm. And it pulled up on the ending. Agro has white fur now. Like, well, Agro is black and white now. Oh, huh. Yeah, well, it's Did they unlock that or something. I think I'm looking uh, at, like... I actually good point. It might have been an unlock. Uh, I think there's like different. I'm looking at like you can get different skins. But okay. I don't know how you do that. Redact my statement from before, but the point still being, Agro still is a limp, limps 
for basically the rest of the game, which granted is just a 15 minute cutscene or whatever, but your most trusty companion, the literal only companion you have through the game who lives after seemingly sacrificing itself to save you before the 16th fight, which by the way is so brutal to see like seemingly aggro die, which like, it's like one of the few times a game has made me feel something for not just a companion, but for an animal companion. Like, right, it's because it's your only, it's the only other living creature that you have allied to you for the entirety of the game. Yeah, and it turns out no, aggro live, but ag- aggro forever will now be limping like a shell of its former self. Which means you have to, I mean, like, I don't know if you know anything about horses, but like when a horse breaks its leg, it has to be put down. Yeah, I, it can't survive. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've seen that with the derby races. Uh, when they it, they just have to kill them. They can't they can't survive even if they really want to. Yeah, um, it's it's so yeah like Mono, you know credit to Dorman. You know Dorman was an evil spirit, but he was he did keep his word. Um, uh, but you know Mono is still cursed with a cursed baby version of you, a crippled horse, and more or less you're not there anymore like even in the midst of like yourself you're you're in your internal sort of uh righteous act you still damned your significant other but i think that what is beautiful about shadow of the colossus is that it leaves enough room for hope because Iman says, even though he basically says you were basic, you were going to curse the world basically by letting Dorman out, he still says and implies that there is still hope for you to possibly learn from your mistake of doing this. You know, he even has hope for you amongst of what he went through, and the fact that he, you know, even though Mono is in a world without you having the devil horn baby and the limping aggro. They make a point to just showcase, you know, Mono embracing with all the various small woodland creatures of the world, kind of like acknowledging you and your baby form presence, I guess. Like it's a small, small, small sliver of hope, but like it's enough to maybe even make the journey seem a little bit worth it in the end, even if it is heartbreaking, there's still like a, a glimmer of hope present at the end. And then there's of course the, the sort of um, interesting fact that your main character in Ico has horns and yeah, the that, same tunic. Yeah. It, um, it, the theory is the fan theory is, that you can see the shores of Ico, like the where Ico takes place, you can see it in shadow. And the fact that a lot, a lot of fans do believe that. I think that I believe the theory is that Shadow is the prequel, but it's like a thousand years before the events of Ico, and it's just like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. that Mono was the cursed queen of Ico, like trying to keep all of her like little devil children like devil horn children alive so and 
I could see it. I could definitely see that the two are interconnected. I don't think Last Guardian is connected to the two, from what I've read. Um, but that's another thing I love about Shadow of the Colossus is that there's enough there's enough ambiguity where you're allowed to sort of hypothesize about not just like the connections between it and Ico, but just in general about the whole experience. Like, you know, what were the Colossi doing? You know, what was what were these ruins for? What was this castle in the middle of the map for? Right. Kind like of, who you know, built all this shit? Like yeah. where, why why is it that you can go three stories underground and find lit torches? Yeah. There's like, a... what, it just you know, it's it's something that very dreamlike to that, that it's if they had <laughs> pointed you directly to a sequel at the end, it would have been so insulting. Yeah. Because then if they if they had pointed you towards lore at the end, then you would have had to go down the same like tiring um trail of like, oh well, what are the you know, why isn't there why is the sky blue in this world? Why is why are the stones made of pumice or are they made of sandstone? Or, mm-hmm. You know, just like like that kind of like autistic um, analyzation of, of plot that can happen. Um, that that can, games only invite <laughs> games. That invite games that. Yes, absolutely. They they just it is what it is because there's something for whatever reason there's there is something about a blue hedgehog. <laughs> that's just, that's just uh, it's like a it's like the bait on a fishing line for a listen, fish listen i once heard on a podcast that autism is drawn to the color blue and it makes a lot of sense <laughs> i'm wearing a shirt with uh this is a sam hyde shirt with, with blue on it what does it all and mean it, what does it all mean herbal tea uh it's a it's a great shirt yeah. Oh yeah, the best. The best is the. Uh, well, it's. It, I, I'm gonna fucking unplug my headphones if I. Do, <laughs> on the back, there's like uh, this. It's like a Chinese calendar, zodiac calendar, with like all these like fake organs on it. It's like hip bone, <laughs> nose, nose, uh, and then there's just a bubble that says horny but wise. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Dra- Dragon Sakura. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, granted. Uh, Shadow of the Colossus does not have a lot of blue. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, hold on. It has the blue eyes of the Colossi. It's all connected. Autism oh, yeah. is drawn to the color blue. That's that's what it is. No, I I, I think this game is is uh pretty pretty anti now anti um autism. autism. Well, yeah, because it... also I I had been thinking about this playing it again. It is it is unspeed runnable. Yes. Um, I mean, only in the sense that you could maybe beat it in four hours as opposed to eight or ten. Yeah, but it's no, not I... like. I mean, I guess you could find some weird hardware glitch or something. I mean, there's always listen. There's yeah, always I mean, a way. Yeah, I don't want to know, and I I really don't want to know because I don't think that would ruin utterly of... defeat the purpose. Yeah, it would just it would just be so ridiculous. And it's not like aggro will let you get to some places fast cuz oh boy that horse can be a little hard to control. But Yeah, they make it difficult for sure. But what I like about it though, and this is something Ev and I were talking about before we started recording, um I think I can't remember. 
it was either at the beginning of the episode or before recording. Point being, though, is we were talking about the idea that control can be art, like the mechanics can be art. And aggro is a great example of this because aggro is hard to control, but I feel like that adds to aggro's character, you know, even if it is minor. It's a minor character per se. He's a real animal. Yeah, he's a real animal. He behaves how he behaves. Like, he, like, I don't know if you knew this, but you could just, like, literally, like, hold, you know, let Triangle go and Agro will just gallop pretty much in a the direction you kind of want him to go. Like, if you yeah. just, and Agro will avoid walls for the most part. Like, if you're going to go to, like, an angled wall, Agro would just turn away. Like, Agro feels like a real horse, which can't be said a lot about other games that still can't figure out horses. I'm talking about Witcher 3. It's um, amazing how similar, I'd, I'd say the most impressive horse mechanics I've seen is I, I've been playing Red Dead. Yeah. And um, it's amazing how similar Shadow of the Colossus is made in what, 2004? Five. To Red Dead made in 2019. Ten. Or which two? The new, or, the new Red Dead. The new one was twenty um, with the incredible. I mean, like, every the pathfinding on everything is is great. It's like, I mean, us us old heads. We remember <laughs> when like if you had a follower in a game, it was like you were trying to find ways to kill them because like, <laughs> pathfinding. They like only found out how to do pathfinding in like two thousand eighteen or something. I don't know what it was. But Shadow of the Colossus did pretty good pathfinding, I will say. Like for 2005, it was ahead of the game, and much like Ico was ahead of the out ahead of the game too in terms of technology. And that also feeds into the sort of aspect of the game too. Is like it's a mixture of artistic qualities from the graphics to the music. Which side note here, the music is fucking incredible this i i probably said i think i said it earlier this music is amazing this is like one of the best soundtracks ever for a game it's and, incredible which is incredible for the fact because the guy who did a cow otani he really hasn't he's mostly known for like anime scores but he's not really done a game of the level of shadow of the colossus in terms of sound but scale too like yeah i haven't i tried to look through his discography to find something on the similar kind of feeling as as shadow and it was all just like like i'm looking through it now it's like future gpx cyber formula zero yeah 1994 you know that's just multiply that by 25 and you have his discography basically it's it's not um exactly the most somber stuff you've ever heard yeah it would which again just kind of like adds to the the magic of shadow of the colossus is they got this guy and he created one of the most beautiful pieces of music for a game ever and then he kind of goes back to sort of his bread and butter which is sort of that anime sound i guess you could call it that and yeah i mean Listen, I mean, I've been listening to the soundtrack for the last few days, and it's just like, yeah, I'll, I'll just like listen to a revived path over and over again. It's like, like that, that, 
that mm. loop just is so beautiful and but there's all this, there's other like amazing pieces like prayer from the soundtrack is also amazing um i think one of them one of the songs is called like a despair filled something i don't know the mm. the name of it off the top of my head uh it's, oh, it's a very the, good sound and i despaired I phil farewell some of the best stuff on it is just the like 20 second intro themes played for you know like when you come across a, a mesa or a valley and it, and it goes down it puts the two bars on the screen and goes into theater sort mm-hmm. of widescreen yeah and just those small interludes that play mm-hmm. are like totally gorgeous and evocative yeah and none of um, them are more than 15 20 seconds yeah they it really it, again it's like the little things keep adding up to the game it really does like every bit and bob is like woven beautifully into this beautiful blanket i guess you could put it that way but you know the point being is like every part from technology to artistic qualities you know more traditional artistic qualities really just make the whole thing sing beautifully and i really can't think of any game that elicits such a powerful connection other than team ico's own games like ico and i'm assuming the last guardian elicit a very similar powerful true to the human spirit response you know there's literally there is a reason why this game is cited so many times by so many developers as their inspiration. Like you really can trace a lot of people like game developers decisions about things back to shadow of the Colossus about how it handled things, how it did things, you know? And I don't know. I mean, (laughs) it's a game that can leave me speechless at times. Like, it's like a a miracle that a game like this exists like at all like to think at one point this game was originally going to be an ico sequel that had multiplayer in it i'm like thank god yeah i was reading about that i can't i can't imagine what that would have been where it was just called nico nico yeah and well i thought it was fascinating the the dog in uh last guardian is called trico yeah (laughs) It's like I, it's very silly, but uh, it makes eco you, eco is always in in the you know eco is always in the blood of these games at some some level, whether it be Fumito Ueda's fascination with uh boys with like little horns on their head, <laughs> um, or just what, like mythic. What do you mean by that? I don't know, man. I, <laughs> I don't know. But you know, <laughs> hey, you know, I, hey, he makes good games. So who am I to judge? <laughs> but maybe he you just know, really likes to cheer up. Maybe too. It who seems knows? to be a really recurring. I kept looking at all the like sparse ruins and deserts in Shadow of the Colossus, and just like everything is so Chirico. Like just that lonely, like pillar in a desert, and one figure that's like a disembodied head or something yeah Um, i mean uh yeah the i I mean i wish speaking of chirico that painting that inspiration because can i just say fucking uh, here let me 
let me actually grab it to show you because I'm sure you've seen this. Um, can we just you know the how the Ico's box art in Everywhere But America is that like inspirational Chirico? Uh, I posted it today, I think. Uh huh. Um, can we talk about this? This is the cover for America. <laughs> America. Yeah. I'm. That's crazy. I, yeah, it's kind it's of it took to sell. 150 yeah. more copies than it would have. Yeah. My God. Like this this is the recurring thing where America gets really shitty box arts for their games. Like Book jackets, box arts, album covers. Yeah. yeah. I mean Japan just wins every time. I mean, like let, let me Okay. You I'm, have people that put like three hundred dollars on a discogs listing because it has an OB strip. <laughs> for an album like i mean it's it, aesthetic as fuck it does look very cool i will say i'll usually like i okay like so this metal gear solid 4 is america box art it's mm -hmm. a cgi face of old snake it's okay you know it's not the best yeah here's the limited edition isn't that more raw damn that's so, cool yeah it's, it's it's a bit like uh the previous box art of um yeah. what's it called Metal Gear Solid Three, yeah, it's yeah. It, yeah, it's Shoji Shinkawa, um, who um, the game, uh, well, Shinkawa's art for Metal Gear is so uh, you know because he's the lead character artist for the series, and he's you know he's designed Metal Gear and all that, but he has that extremely distinct, beautiful watercolor painting style. And in like, again, let me, I just want to, I don't want to spread, spread lies and misinformation on the internet, except maybe sometimes <laughs> I do, but you know, like only for fun. Exactly. Like the Metal Gear 2 substance, like that's Shinkawa art, mm -hmm. like on the cover. And, uh, I think, uh, subst subsistence for three yeah, subsist or actually, well, this is a different version of three. I own like four copies of MGS three. I'm not joking, <laughs> but like, like here's a here's one of Shinkawa's art uses box art, like hmm. immediately better than old grandpa right here, right? I I I will say the the teary eyed grandpa is a really great image for four. Oh yeah, it it is. It fits four completely, but like, um. My um my primary just... memory of four because I didn't have a PS3 at the time was that they um but I was a 4chan regular user was <laughs> that they literally changed the entire website when Metal Gear Solid Four came out to play like the ending theme with the dirge strings mm -hmm. and there was a there was a sticky thread on like on like the main board about <laughs> Metal Gear <laughs> like just just because like fucking um. Moot, I guess, thought that the game had ended at that point, and he was like, "R.I.P." <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, MG... everybody thought it ended. Yeah, I mean, let's compare and contrast, shall we? This is the original MGS3 box art, and America got not mm -hmm. too shabby. Here's subsistence, much better, mm -hmm. ain't it? Shinkawa art, the salute, Clear. the salute, yeah. the Shinkawa art, green. Uh, <laughs> it's all good. Okay, but. 
the point being, I just want I you know you meant you mentioned the 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 Chirico painting, and I'm just like, man, why couldn't we in America have gotten that for Ico? That's such a classic look too, and it's actually not like it's not a straight up to Chirico painting. It's like uh, an homage painting of like yeah, an actual actual eco characters. Yeah, because Ueda made that. Like he painted that himself, uh, the Ico version of the Chirico painting. It's so great, and that's how the game actually feels. It feels like this like lonesome, surrealistic desert. Yeah, and I think um, Shadow of the Colossus had its own when it was still known as Nico, uh, which is equally as beautiful. Like again, I'm, uh, I, I I am a champion of like, hey, make your box arts look cool, like em, embody the game that you're selling. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, I think. I think we covered a lot tonight and I think uh I think this is a I think we should probably wrap up for tonight but I think to you dear audience listener I think you can tell from me and Ev's discussions that Shadow of the Colossus not only deserves all the hype it deserves the label of masterpiece but as I said in a post this is a seminal moment for the medium of games this is in many ways this is the game that you can attribute to the conversation of our game's art and i think 100 percent, this game deserves its spot in the history of the medium you know in the short 40 i guess almost 50 now uh like 40 50 years that video games have been a concept and a thing you know Ico or not uh well Ico technically yes too but Shadow of the Colossus is like one of these like games that will go down in the history books as this is what gaming can do this is what video games are possible of creating and I really I can't emphasize enough play the damn game as I said it'll, before it'll with take you six to eight hours yes yeah, you know it's it's a short if you're like, bad at games, 12, I don't know. Yeah, if you're bad at games, it'll take you 12. If you're really bad at games, like a game journalist, it'll take you like 20. Um, <laughs> yeah, it'll take you it'll but take I, you forever. Yeah, but yeah. I trust my audience listeners of the show that you are not a game journalist and you you don't suck at video games. Yeah, this is a bite-sized game you can beat in a weekend. And I I really do believe that you will have one of the most beautiful experiences you'll have with a video game so i don't know if you have any closing thoughts ev on shadow of the colossus yeah i mean you can there are novels you can read in a weekend there are movies you can read in an hour um and video games are a short-lived uh format thus far and it's um you you do have to invest the time but the time you invest is very magical and uh if you have 10 hours you know uh mm -hmm. allocate that 10 hours maybe to experiencing something different if you've literally never played a video game before or if you're just like a casual gamer or if you are uncertain of like what a video game can be this is really kind of you know starting base um you can start with Shadow of the Colossus and understand 
you know, mm-hmm. just how far this this medium can go into being like an emotional and highly interpretive and subjective art form mm-hmm. uh, far more than than say, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, Madden, Madden 2008, which I mean, I love it, but <laughs> <laughs> they're different. They're different sides of the spectrum that the, the, the medium can provide. And I think in my opinion, both are valid, you know, but they, they have different purposes. Yeah. It's sort but... of like um, if you're reading a book, it's, it would be sort of like, am I reading the Audubon field guide or am I reading <laughs> Am I reading Pride and Prejudice? Like, you know. Yeah, fair. Right. And you know, I would say if you're if you're curious what a controller hooked up to a screen can actually do for you in a way that is beyond words, uh, fucking buy this game for five dollars off PlayStation Network, or or you can buy like a twenty dollar copy physically, like. Uh, it's absolutely worth your time and effort. So I want to thank you, Ev, for joining me on a long and uh, very deep episode. It's honestly one of my favorites of the season so far. I mean, so I I, I thank you infinitely for doing this. Oh, thank you. It's a and, joy to do it. Yeah, well, it's always a joy. 